0: Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. The following
1: program is an MLW radio.com production. You listen to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and you've never seen them live? Phenomenal. It's amazing. I don't remember the last time I laughed that much. Yes, I, I had a great time. But it was a great time. Best time oh. I've ever had. There's no way you'll hear those in the podcast. Highly recommend this. And you live within driving distance of the New York area? New York City, get ready Friday night, January the 19th. And Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson live at Barclay Center. Get your tickets now. The place to get them is boxofgimmicks.com. How much would you pay for an event like this? To be entertained for hours, to hear stories you can never hear on the podcast. One hundred dollars, eighty-three dollars, pal. fifty dollars, forty dollars. No, tickets are available at just thirty-five dollars. Oh yeah! Even if you've already been to a live show, trust me, trust Bruce. We will have a huge announcement. This is definitely not the one to miss, and a very, very special guest. You're gonna want to tell people you were there when for that low price of $35, you can even go to the Nets basketball game because the tickets start at only $35. Can you imagine? Only $35 for an NBA basketball game and something to wrestle with Bruce Prichard and Conrad Thompson live Join us Friday night, January the 19th at Barclay Center. Get your tickets now. The place to get them is boxofgimmicks.com. This one, you'll be talking about it for years. Welcome to WHW Monday. Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson. For First Arcade, 605 NWA, TV title, Cajun Omni, The Bunkhouse Stampede, Flair and Horseman, Garvin, Bogey, Magnum, Dusty, Express, Team, Turner, bought in Mid-South Joy World Championship Wrestling. Talking about the great years of World Championship Wrestling, the NWA and Jim rocket Promotions. Tony answers, First they win, look, Shavani's back again, world title split off, center stage, Bischoff, Disney, Hogan, and Nitro, New World Order and the Crow, Under so, Arcad Champ, Vinnie Max, Simulcast. Tony's back with Conrad. Not your classy podcast. Watch along, try not to laugh. Lois rules can't pass. This wasn't the initial plan. Tom's like a good looking man. Quad like Bill, make a chair. Tommy, you come over here. What happened when? WHW Monday.
2: And now, let's go to the ring. And here's your co host. And let's take a look at the starting lineups in today's ballgame. First of all, for your Braves, leading off and playing right field will be Ronald Acuna. That's Acuna in right field, the youngster out of Venezuela. Great player. He's been the uh, MVP of the Arizona Fall League. We look forward to a lot of great things out of him. In center field, Ender Arte, last year's all-star for the Atlanta Braves. He bats second. Normally would be the leadoff batter, but of course, since uh, the arrival of Acuna... He'll be batting in the number two spot. Moving over to left field for the Atlanta Braves. going to be a young man that we have uh, certainly looked at and is going to, uh, I think, do a great job for us in left field. Uh, And that is the youngster out of Alabama, and that is uh, Brian Alvarez. Alvarez in left field will bat third. Freddie Freeman bats in the cleanup spot. Uh, Freeman, of course, uh, had probably an MVP last year, MVP year last year. Uh, but then, of course, the hand injury into that batting in the number six spot, and this is surprising for a, a kid this small. But in the number six spot will be Ozzy Albies playing second base for your Atlanta Braves. The number seven batter Dansby Swanson, and he'll bat in the number seven spot. Batting eighth will be the, uh, or batting uh, eighth will be the third baseman, and that'll be Rio Ruiz. Ruiz will bat eighth. The ninth hitter is going to be Tyler Flowers, your catcher, and on the mound. Uh, for the Braves, big Luis Gohara out of Brazil. Uh, this kid reminds us all of, uh, well, I, I guess uh, C.C. Sabathia of the Yankees. There's your starting lineup. Uh, players are taking the field right now, and we are looking forward to this opening ball game of the uh, 2018 Braves season. Very good to be coming to you here from uh, our brand new SunTrust Park. Having a, a great off season. Thank you very much for the cards and letters. And we're looking forward to a, a great whoa, baseball whoa, whoa, game. Whoa,
0: whoa, 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 so, Tony, I, I know that Thunder was interrupted by baseball all the time back in the day, but we're still doing a wrestling podcast. So, what,
2: what, what are you doing? Well, well, it's 2018. I was just kind <clears> of <throat> warming up for my gig coming up in April. Oh, well, uh, you,
0: you've got a lot so, of gigs, but I think you're getting your gigs confused here. We're going to talk about the shit show that was WCW Thunder. Can we do
2: that instead? Ladies and gentlemen, the Atlanta Braves are preempted because of
1: what happened
0: when WCW decided <laughs> to kill the company and start thunder. It's the oh. beginning of the end. It was never a priority to begin with. It is thunder.
2: Yes, it is thunder. Uh, let me say this, uh, Brian Alvarez doesn't play left field for the Braves, but I forgot. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. Uh, I forgot who our left fielder was.
0: Well, it, God. I okay. recognize that it was a rib and I appreciate it. And I'm sure okay. he will get lots of tweets about it. So all
2: right. we're, we're here today
0: to do something sort of fun because we've got the 20 year anniversary of WCW Thunder and man, it just does not feel like Thunder debuted 20 years ago. I remember this very well. Do you remember... To this oh, yeah. initial thunder, because it feels like it was sort of talked about and kicked around. And then before you know it, it was here. And there's lots of rumor and innuendo surrounding it. And we're going to get into it, but it doesn't feel like
2: 20 years to me. Well, it, you know what? In, in many ways, it feels like it feels like a longer time ago than that to me. And, and I don't know why that is. Uh, maybe because thunder was uh, a pain in the ass for us. And we tried to shut it out of our mind. We as a company, and I'm talking about, I'm not so sure. I'm, I'm talking about the wrestlers. I'm talking about production office personnel. This was like a baton death march for us because, and, and we're talking about the early stages of it because we would go out and do nitro on a Monday and then we would come back home Tuesday and go out on Wednesday for a thunder on Thursday and come back Friday. That was our week. Can you imagine how much the company just spent on airfare of going to a place Monday and a place again on Thursday?
0: And you know, what's crazy too. And, and I think this gets glossed over a lot, but you know, the word I've always gotten is that unlike the WWE today in 2017, or I guess today
2: is 2018. Happy new year, Tony. Woo hot. I got a song for you. I'm ready. Okay. Uh, in 1963, ladies and gentlemen, one of the, uh, great musicals of all time on the stage went into production and became a very, uh, a good movie. It was called Bye Bye Birdie. If you'll recall, oh, Ann Martin was the star it. in that. There's a good and, song in there. I like there. Uh, there's a song in there. There's a song in there, which we will sing for you right now. I'm ready. We love you, Conrad. Oh, yes, we do. We love you, Conrad. And we'll be true. If you're not with us, we're blue. Oh, Conrad, we love you. Woo! And that, of course, was for Conrad Bernie, but we made it for Conrad Thompson. Happy New Year, Conrad. And that's our celebration of the year. Now, where were we here? <laughs>
0: oh my god ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the rick flair show we have forgotten to take our add meds and it's afternoon so we are wide
2: open let me let me show you my dick since we're in rick flair show Hmm.
0: you know it's funny i don't don't find it. i don't think he does that anymore yeah i've been friends with rick for four or five years now i'm not disappointed don't get me wrong but you're talking (laughs) about it like it's just it's making appearances every other day and uh, i don't know if space mountain just uh It's closed for business or what exactly is going on, but he's not helicoptering that thing
2: anymore. Well, you know what we should do? You and I should, I'll come over or you'll come over here and then we'll, we'll go to Rick's house, take the trek to his house. We'll knock on the door, say hello to Wendy and we'll demand that he shows it to us.
0: Well, given what happened this past weekend, are you still interested in going to the national championship game?
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: well because if you decide to uh brave the traffic i'll yeah. uh, i'll see you Rick. i plan on hanging out a little bit
2: oh so okay.
0: let's talk a little bit about thunder um this is going to be a little bit like um an add show we're going to bounce around a little bit now normally we would be doing our watch along gimmick this is not on the network and there's lots of rumor and innuendo as to why it's not on the network but it is online So Tony and I watched it online, but we're not going to necessarily suggest that you watch along with us. You're more than welcome to, uh, but there are lots of recaps about the show we just covered on here, but Tony and I just watched it. It is available online. I'm not going to say where, because you know how that works. I'll take it down right away, but throw it in your Google machine, January 8th, 1998 WCW thunder, and it'll be near the top of your results and you'll figure it out. It's a three-part video. And uh, that's where you and I had a chance to catch up and it brought back a lot of memories to me. And I think I had almost forgotten a little bit until I got going on here, but the third ever nitro was here in Huntsville and uh, we'll briefly touch on that, but I guess we should run down how we sort of got here. And you've told us the story a little bit before that the Turner folks had passed the edict down that they wanted to show on TBS. Of course, TNT is enjoying a ratings bonanza on Monday nights with Monday nitro. And it feels like WCW has the golden touch. And it's interesting because I I think you've told the story before that although Turner wanted it, Bischoff and a lot of the front office did not want to do thunder catch everybody up on that in case they've missed some of our episodes in the archives.
2: There had been talk in the office that we were going to have a show on TBS and it was going to be a live show. Uh, nobody wanted it. And, uh, everybody as word gets around in the office. Everybody said, how are we going to do this? How are we going to be able to really each and every week do another three hour or became two hour show. And Eric, uh, tried, uh, tried his best. He got everybody in the office together. I'll never forget. It was, we had, uh, WCW had grown so much that we had taken over a lot of the 12th floor of the CNN center and we expanded the office, had a big opening, a big, just a big, uh, office, uh, a big place where we could gather. And he called everybody in and he said, I know that you've heard the rumor that we are going to have a new show on TBS. He said, but I have told the people at Turner that we cannot do it. We do not have the resources. We do not have the manpower to do it again. We, it's going to cost us more money than we think we can need to spend. Uh, I I don't think creatively we can do it. And unless, and I this is a part I remember almost verbatim. And unless Ted Turner comes back and says, no, we're going to do it. Don't worry about it. We're not going to do it. And that was the last I heard from the negative side of Eric, uh, months later, weeks later, maybe. We were doing it. So we all guessed Ted Turner said, we're doing it. I think what you got here, Conrad, is a classic case of a television company not giving a flip. Can I say flip or should I say fuck? Are you serious? Fucking say fuck you fuck. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Not giving a fuck about the wrestling company. They didn't care that we could not do it. They didn't care that it was going to make us water us down. They just wanted a television show. And I think that is kind of the crux of why WCW failed. There are many reasons. Obviously I'm the main one, but, uh, there are many reasons why it failed to me. The crux is thunder having to produce thunder and TBS saying, we don't give a shit, do it. And you saw what happened.
0: There's a lot of talk out there. Um, and this even made it to Wikipedia. Uh, because oh. when I when I googled some of the numbers, Wikipedia even brought it up. Now you know if it's on Wikipedia, it's the truth. And and I want yes. I want to put that to the test. Would you agree that most of the time
2: Wikipedia has it right? I mean, there is a lot of I, it's it's hard to say, but yes, okay. I I go by Wikipedia a lot uh, when I am doing. By the way, when I am doing baseball games, and I have to look up a player because I don't have enough information on him, a lot of times Wikipedia will have that information. So yes, I like it. I don't donate to them. They always ask me to donate to them, but I don't. Did you know recently
0: that your Wikipedia was edited? Well, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, recently, this is not me, but I was mm-hmm. shown this on the Twitter machine. Oh, God. Your Wikipedia was edited to say that you left the WWF. In 1990, once it was discovered that you were having a homosexual relationship with Pat Patterson and Vince had to make a choice after you guys had a lover's quarrel and he chose <laughs> Pat Patterson and sent your bisexual ass back down to Atlanta. That's almost word for word what Wikipedia said about Tony uh-huh. Giovanni, and And yep. I, I felt like this would be an opportunity for you to sort of tell the truth because there's lots of, um, going on in Hollywood right now, you know, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world. And this is your opportunity to sort of share your story, you know, good or bad about your sex scandal in the world wrestling federation. Are you ready to blow the lid off of the world wrestling federation
2: right now? Uh, no, I'm not because, uh, counselor, none of that is true. And I have a feeling, I know there's probably a, a hundred jackasses out there that would put that on wikipedia but i have a feeling i know who that is you think i did it, put it on. No, no 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 i was six to say i i'm
0: not i don't even know how to do that but let me just oh, tell you oh, what i don't i don't know anything about wikipedia i just know that okay. if you if you throw a roll tide into wikipedia there's yeah, an entry pick- there's an entry for me in there did you know that no i did not if you go if you just throw roll tide in your wikipedia the last line says the phrase is frequently used by host Conrad Thompson on the popular podcast, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and what yeah. happened when with Tony Schiavone. Wow. How about, How about that? that? I made it to Wikipedia, my
2: man. Okay. That is great, man. So, I, thank that, you. That, that made my night as a matter of fact.
0: Well, you know, my mom framed it. That's what we do here in the country. Um, so let's talk about the, the theory behind the reason Thunder failed. Oh, okay. I um, thought we were
2: going to talk about another theory. Okay, let's go ahead
0: allegedly bischoff is hesitant because Time warner was under a hiring freeze and this is pretty common whenever they're trying to sort of um get the books in order for an acquisition and this hiring freeze prevented him from bringing in additional production people to help run the show is that true yes how much of an impact do you believe that had on the success oh or failure of the show? Like what sort of added stress was there to the production?
2: Well, I, well, I, I kind of, you know, I mentioned about, about, the travel going somewhere Monday, coming back, going somewhere Thursday. Uh, it added, uh, a, a lot of stress on that and it added, come on. It had a lot of stress on, on people who had to, to drive the sets or drive the lighting or the pyro, or whatever, because they would just, you know, go from one town to the other without coming back to Atlanta. So it put a lot of stress on them. I think it put a lot of stress on a a lot of people, uh, more than just me, because I was just, you know, I was kind of behind the desk and, and helping format stuff and, and, and just announcing, but people who had to do the, the actual labor and the work in the truck and had to actually put it on. I think it, it really put a big toll on them. And it also helped. We were riding a big high, if you'll recall at Starcade. And 97 was a great year. It, 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 for the first time and, and listen, television, and I know this from talking to my son, Matt, television is a, is a, is a stressful, uh, business with the people with a lot of egos and it's not necessarily the greatest business to work in. So you now add this stress to an ego driven business. Uh, the attitude, uh, and the feeling of the company starts to go down.
0: Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, too, that, you know, not just do you have the travel aspect, but you've also increased the workload for these guys who, like, if you're on the ring crew, you've really got to sort of shift the ring crews around or else they're setting up shows for Thursday Thunder, Friday, Saturday, Sunday house shows, Monday Raw. They get home on Tuesday, spend Tuesday night in their bed, and then they're back out on Wednesday putting shit together again. Um, So quite the the stressful schedule there. As well.
2: And you, you got storylines here that, so you got a storyline on, on nitro. You've right. got a storyline on thunder. The storyline on nitro has to, uh, get on thunder and be the same, be consistent. Continuity is what we're talking about here. And then WCW Saturday night now is pushed even further down in what we care about. And that becomes just kind of a recap show with matches that don't matter. Uh, at, at when thunder was, when thunder became an entity, basically, uh, Eric through, uh, Craig leathers gave me Saturday night, they gave it to me and basically Jimmy Hart and Arn Anderson. This is your boys. This is it. You go and you make it work. So we would go out and tape WCW Saturday night matches at a place and Bischoff was never there at Saturday night. The big stars were hardly at there at Saturday night and we just kind of recapped things. So it made continuity even more tougher. And by that time it made all of the tapings that we did at Disney kind of obsolete, uh, because we would have matches and guys were, well, maybe they turned heel on Monday and now we had a show. I never forget. We would do a show on Monday sometime and we would have, we would have all this stuff ready to build Saturday night. And all of a sudden we would have to scratch it. And I would uh, go back in and say, well, let's put an angle in from either thunder or put an angle in from uh, WCW Monday nitro. It made conduit almost impossible, uh, b- because we were understaffed. Uh, and we made mistakes. We made critical mistakes. There was one time that we on our control center talked about the angle before it happened it's just a mistake that we made because we were doing so much. And that was my fault. And Eric threatened to fire me and, and, uh, kill my firstborn and all that stuff. Uh, it was, it was, uh, it, it was a, it was a tough time. 1998 was a very tough year for us. And I'm talking about on a production side and a front office side.
0: It's worth mentioning though. 1998 is hugely profitable. I mean, you guys are going to make a, a boatload of cash there. Uh, how shows are going to be sold out. You're going to set records left and right. You're going to set pay-per-view records, merch is flying off the shelves. So it is a great financial year, but that comes with a lot of responsibility. And and the second thing that Bischoff listed as a hindrance to doing thunder is exactly what you just said. He, He wasn't concerned, uh, so much about, or he was concerned very much about overexposing the talent and making the the storylines less significant because you're having the continuity issues and it feels like it's overexposed and uh as a result he goes out and hires a lot of folks and off air uh with, with an interaction I had with Bischoff in real life I sort of grilled him about him sort of rating WCW's talent and he took great issue with that and said that he had to hire new wrestlers to staff thunder and he hired guys like Mikey Whipwreck who listens to this podcast by the way But he probably, I mean, Mikey probably wouldn't have been on the radar if it weren't for Thunder, according to Eric Bischoff. Do you remember that being a catalyst to hiring a lot more wrestlers as well? And maybe some of these guys from ECW, like a Stevie Richards, like you know, on and on and on. Do you remember some of these guys? It's worth mentioning, by the way, that Stevie Richards was brought in uh, prior to that, but I'm just saying there's a big influx of new talent and new signings that Bischoff attributes to knowing thunder was coming or once thunders here, he started scrambling for more guys. Is that the way you remember it?
2: That's the way it happened. Absolutely. Scrambling to get more guys. And then you're getting guys. I'm I'm not saying Mikey whip, Cause I like Mikey, but you're getting guys who probably weren't big enough stars to put on TV, but you had to do it because you were going to end up showing the same stuff over and over and over the first uh, thunder that we're kind of talking about today. Ended up, a lot of the the segments ended up just showing stuff that happened on the pay per view, or stuff that happened on Monday Nitro that were big angles. Yeah, and I'm, that that was that was good. I mean, that was good for us just to roll that shit in, you know. Well, but uh, it's, it's
0: bad as a viewer because you know I have just watched that Nitro a couple of days ago, and I just watched Arcade a couple of days ago, in in, in order to prep for our other podcasts, so it felt like man, I just watched this, and I couldn't imagine. Yeah having just watched that three days prior, I mean, I would be even more upset, especially with it being fresh. Like, why is this, is this a recap show? Because that's certainly the way the first one felt. The third big thing, according to Bischoff, that he was unhappy about with Thunder was that TBS refused to pay the cost of producing Thunder, which was between 12 and $15 million a year, which really, when you think about it, seems like kind of a bargain based on what production costs are and you know what the different talent contracts are which may or may not be included in that number but what i was getting to a few minutes ago before you broke out into song for me and thank you again for that is that the wwe now in 2017 a great portion of their revenue comes from television rights it's always been my understanding that since you guys were the tv company wcw never received any payment for their television rights so their profitability was based on merchandise and pay-per-view buy rates and licensing they got on their own and house shows. It was not right. based on hey, thanks for the great rating and thanks for the content.
2: Is that right? That's right. You're exactly right and and uh, that's something if you go back and you take a look was a money stream that we could have had, but we didn't have And again, the pitfalls. Of being owned by a television company. Uh, again, it goes back to this. I'm, I'm beating a dead horse. I've done it through many of our podcasts. Television companies should not own a wrestling company because they're just looking out for television. They don't give a shit about wrestling. They don't, they never did. Here's the only thing that we, here's the only thing that they cared about. I don't know if this has ever been talked about on a podcast before, but we all knew it in the front office. You said 1998 was a big profitable year. For WCW, right? Right. Okay. Do you know what a lot of that money went to? No. Purchasing the Atlanta fucking thrashers for the national hockey league. We gave Turner broadcasting cash for them to buy the Atlanta thrashers. And they bought them in June of 1997. And in 1999, the thrashers were in the NHL 10 years later, they had to get rid of them. But the fact is that we gave Turner the cash that they needed up front to pay the National Hockey League for a franchise fee. So there you go. So fuck them, fuck Turner Broadcasting, and fuck the Atlanta Thrashers.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> love, I love, fired up Tony. Fired up Tony's <laughs> okay. the best, Tony.
2: Yeah. Uh, so there. I mean, it's it's true. They, it's absolutely true. If they're going to deny, they're liars. We all knew it in the front office. We all, ho- hey, they're getting a hockey team. Oh, really? You're welcome from us.
0: Bischoff decides eventually that he can pull it off, but in order to do so, he's going to have to increase revenue by expanding the house show business, which one of his famous moves when he first took over WCW was to scale that back, but now the shows are selling out. So it's time to mash the gas and expand that. And he also gets permission from Ted to go sign Bret Hart to a significant contract. Do you remember part of the rationale behind giving Bret Hart such a big contract that you needed another big star in order to pull Thunder off?
2: I I don't remember the rationale behind it. I I mean, look, a lot of these guys are overpaid, but but I think the rationale behind it was he's hot. He's a, he's a name and we're going to basically give him whatever he wants. Uh, but if that is rationale, then that's what it is.
0: When do you remember hearing that the name would be Thunder?
2: Hmm, I remember hearing the name would be Thunder when we had our first production meeting for it. Uh, we had it in the office maybe uh, a month beforehand, where we were setting up the different things, where we would go, and what we would do, and how it would look. You know, had uh, pieces uh, drawn, pieces of the set, uh, and that set that you know that that looked like a big rock. Uh, and came open with the pyro and where the set where the announcers would be uh, and was just in the the formative stages and that had to be a month maybe two months uh, before thunder started
0: you know one of the things that i've always been curious about is that actual set and you've told us before that a lot of the set designs things like that uh, were done by david crockett do you remember him doing that set as well
2: well I, being done by David Crockett is really not uh, accurate it was done under the guidance of David Crockett uh David would go to set designers uh and would say come up with something for us and we'll see if we like it and then they would uh and then they would hire uh, people to do it so but he he would really be the kind of guy who was behind going out and looking for it because that was his job
0: do you remember nicknaming the mountain like the entrance the set no I feel like it should have been named Agro Crag. What do you think about that?
2: Agro Crag.
0: <laughs> yeah, Agro Crag was the name of a mountain on Nickelodeon's television show Guts. Did you ever watch Guts with your kids? No, I did not. It, Deborah McMichael wasn't in it, so don't get excited. But they named the mountain Agro Crag. And whenever I saw that set, I always thought, this is right out of fucking Nickelodeon here. Yeah, um, right. Not the coolest WCW set, maybe from the same people who brought you the WCW Saturday night computerized bullshit.
2: You think? Right. Right. I didn't like, look, I, I didn't, I didn't like the set, um uh, the, the rock or the mountain set, but when it opened up, it was kind of cool. Okay. But I didn't like it closed.
0: Yeah. Uh, neither did she. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> um, I was, Wade Keller from the torch has oh says God. that the introduction of thunder could be called quote unquote, the beginning of the end. And yeah. he says that this debut is quote, is probably as good of a turning point as you could pick out in hindsight. Would you agree with that?
2: I agree a hundred percent with that. And I normally don't agree a hundred percent with your friend, Wade Keller.
0: Oh, he's no friend of mine.
2: Um, okay. The, the show That's was Bruce Mitchell, then I guess. Yeah. He's I like Bruce yours. Mitchell a lot. He's right. a good dude. Wade okay. Keller.
0: eh? So the show was two hours and it ran long a couple of times, including, you know, after the famous Bret Hart, Ric Flair interview that ran forever long, but it was good stuff. Was there ever talk about maybe making it a a one hour show or a three hour show? Was it always two hours? and, And that's what it was from start to finish.
2: Yeah, it was always two hours start to finish.
0: I mean, in the conversation, there was never a
2: conversation about it being shorter or longer. No, but the, 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 first show was longer,
0: right? The first show, the first show ran over, but after that, uh, it was the,
2: always, it was always two hours. I okay. always talk about it being two hours.
0: Um, is the rationale behind Turner wanting this? He just wanted something else to drive ratings for TBS. He felt like maybe that station needed the WCW rub, as strange as that sounds.
2: That's exactly what it was. He looked at what we were doing for TNT and said, well, they can do the same thing for TBS.
0: Isn't that the highest compliment though? Because just a few years prior, Ted asked Bischoff, what do you need to compete? He asked for the Monday night time slot live. He gets it, makes it a huge success. And now three year, two years later, in fact, he comes back and says, okay, now do it for TBS. I mean, that's quite the compliment to Eric Bischoff and his vision for thunder. Is it not?
2: Well, of course it is. But in reality thanks for the compliment, but we can't do it, dude. Right. I mean, that that's, yeah, I, I, I don't know. And you may have talked to Eric about this and Eric may have put it on You know, he no longer has a podcast.
0: No, he doesn't. Like. He got ran the fuck right out of town.
2: Yeah. Uh, but, uh, he may have put this on his podcast. I would like to know how the conversation actually went down, uh, with the people above him. Now, Bill Shaw was above him. And Bill Shaw was always a straight up guy. I always thought that I know there's a lot of people out there that can't, that didn't like him. I know Jim Ross is one of the guys who didn't like him, but I always, I always got along with Bill Shaw and I don't know if Bill Shaw came to Eric and said, Ted says we're doing it or Ted actually says, Eric, I need to talk to you and we're doing it. Uh, I'm not so sure even Harvey Schiller may have been involved with the company at that time, uh, because we had, you know, we moved around a little bit. And at one time we were under the auspices of Turner sports, which was Harvey Schiller's domain. So I'm not so sure who the middleman was between Ted and Eric, but I would like to know what Eric said. If Eric said, look, go back to Ted saying, we're not doing it. And they came back and said, you're doing it. Or we're getting somebody else to do it. I don't know if Eric really held firm to what he told us or just caved in easily. I'd like to know the answer to that. And I'd like to hear the conversation between, Eric, because that was really high level stuff. Anybody that says they know is the person who talked to Eric because no one else knew.
0: Well, let's tell you how it went. Thunder Goes Down, as we mentioned, January 8th, 1998. The debut shows in Daytona Beach, which is famously where Hulk Hogan turned heel. Right. And on this night, right after a huge show at Starcade and a monster day the next day uh, on uh, Nitro and the following week, in fact. They're only drawing four thousand one hundred and twenty one fans here for an eighty-five thousand dollar gate. For a big show like this,
2: that's gotta seem pretty damn disappointing, does it not? Yeah, there's something that goes into that too, and that is trying to, okay, guys, we've got a show on Thursday, and we need an arena that is going to uh be big enough and make it look big. And so we look around and we find Daytona Beach. Oh, yeah, they're available and you negotiate. Maybe there's another place. It's not one of those things that was on the calendar a year in advance, and we could put a lot of steam and a lot of promotion into. So I think what you're looking at is not only a TV flying by the seat of its pants, but, uh, arenas, arena sales and the arena people flying by the seat of their pants as well.
0: By comparison, a few days later in Jacksonville, Nitro drew a sellout, 8,718 fans, 7,604 of them paid $133,000 for what Meltzer called a pretty hot soap opera type show with what was said to have been the hottest crowd in the last 25 years for a house show in Jacksonville. The main theme there was the NWO splitting up, and we're going to touch on some of that in the first episode here. But you guys are getting press everywhere, including the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which has to be the talk of all the towers there. Because they ran two major articles in the exact same week, all on wrestling. The first being all about the big crowd at the Georgia Dome for Nitro, and the second being about the debut of Thunder. So you guys start with a lot of buzz, and a lot of that is because TNT is looking for something major. Uh, this maybe has been lost th- through the years with wrestling fans, but TNT was losing Sunday Night NFL, and that show was going to ESPN. And so, in a weird way, this is actually a plus for WCW. Because in theory, it's going to make WCW an even higher priority to be on this TNT network because it moves it up one slot in the pecking order. And and TNT, we should remind you, has historically been amongst or the highest rated primetime network, and that was definitely the case even coming in here. But Mm -hmm. a lot of that was credited to sports, specifically football and basketball. Basketball hadn't gotten nearly the ratings that football had, but still more significant than a lot of others. And, of course, TNT, with it being a Ted Turner operation, obviously had a stranglehold on movies. Do you remember feeling like, hey, we're here to pick up the slack for the NFL?
2: I don't know. I, I wouldn't word it like that. Uh, I always thought that we were here because we know what made Turner his money. We all, here's, Here was our feeling. We knew what made Turner his money uh, and what uh, got his cable systems up and running, and it was Braves baseball Wrestling and Andy Griffith. Uh, we always thought that. We always were very arrogant about that. Uh I, I can remember, and this is earlier than all this. Uh here's a here's a story. I may have told it before. If I had, maybe I'll try to embellish it a little bit here. We were down at the production facility, and we had compared to what the the WWE had, a very modest production facility uh, in the main concourse or the main area of the CNN center. Uh, and it was kind of in the corner. And if you'd seen the WWE production facility, you would have gone, yeah, this is not much, but if you just walked into this and looked at it, you would probably think, you know, for wrestling, this is not bad studio an edit suite, uh, a couple of, uh, bays, an edit, an, an avid edit bay. And it was really well done. And a couple of Turner broadcasting execs walked in one day and were looking over the place, they weren't invited, but they thought they were Turner execs. They could just come in and do what they want. And they walked out and they were laughing about all this for wrestling. And Jr. And I were standing in the lobby of the production facility at that time and not even knowing who they were, knowing they weren't in charge of us, knowing they weren't Ted Turner nor Ted Turner's son. Jim Ross basically told them, kiss his ass. The reason that you're doing good numbers on anything is because of wrestling. And it's always been that way, which I, I, I laughed out loud about that. Uh, so that's where am I going with this? Uh, that, uh, to me, uh, just tells us, uh, tells me that we knew what we were in the scheme of Turner broadcasting. We were the redheaded stepchild that executives did not want to, uh, recognize, but as time went on, they had to, because we were doing the numbers.
0: You're definitely doing the numbers. And even from a TV standpoint, I guess we should talk about the ratings at the time because ratings are really, really strong. Um, well, maybe before we do that, let's get into talking about the talent because we touched on it a little earlier that you guys are trying to sign, New talent, and you signed Davy Boy Smith on Christmas Eve, and he had to pay out $150,000 in order to buy out the final 32 months of his five year contract. He's, of course, trying to get out in protest based on the way the Montreal screw job went down and not feeling like he can trust any of the management after seeing some shenanigans with uh, Hebner and Lanza and not really getting a straight answer from anybody. So he yep. wants out of here, but he has to do knee surgery as well, which feels like it could be a risk for WCW but in a war who cares we're signing everybody so he has surgery on december 4th and he starts to slowly recover but then he gets a staph infection which winds up in both legs so he can't actually start training again until the 25th and this is just from a scope but once it feels like he's going to be okay they go ahead and sign him even though it was discovered that he had an acl tear he's going to still try to work through it also on the list of new signees is rick martell who had been speaking to Vince McMahon with Don Callis about coming in, but now has a bigger money offer from WCW. So there he goes. Jim Neidhart, similar to Davey Boy Smith, he's also on the way in, again in protest from the way the whole Montreal screwjob thing happened, needs to keep the peace and can get out because he just had a per-night deal. The WWF tries to lock him down with a real contract. He doesn't take it. Instead, opting for the WCW deal. None of those guys really... Were necessary to move the needle for WCW. But at
2: this point, it's all about the body count, right, Tony? It's all about the body count. Yeah. And it's all about trying to keep things fresh. Something maybe you haven't seen before. And, uh, that's what it's about. You know, let's flash forward to, uh, um, what's going on now with the WWE, two separate products. Right. Uh, and it, it helps with continuity because you, you don't, the guys on, uh, SmackDown will have to talk about Raw and vice versa. So but we the we had one common storyline, but we still needed fresh faces because let's face it, it all came down to watching wrestling in the ring and storylines.
0: Let's talk about and, uh the, the different feel of the shows and, and this sort of has always been fascinating to me. The psychology of colors is certainly in play here because your nitro show is more blue and red, your thunder show is more blue and I'm sorry black and red for for nitro and now it's blue and black for thunder. So just like Smackdown and Raw, the Thursday show is blue. The Monday show is red. Yeah. Is, is, what's up with that?
2: Or as our friend says, what's up with that? Well, that's marketing. Trying to keep it separate, trying to make you think that hey, I've got to watch Thursday cuz I got to see something and it's got to and it's going to be different. Different colors, different day, New wrestlers, that's the way it has to be. Or if not, then you don't have to watch Thunder because you saw everything you saw on uh on Nitro.
0: See, I go the other way. It it makes me think I need it to look similar so I feel like it's the same thing and I'm not missing out on anything. If it's a if it's all new, if the presentation is totally different, it makes me think, well, hey, is this a different promotion? Oh, I can skip this one. I'm not I don't I'm not emotionally attached to Chris Adams. I can lay out of this show. Okay. Well, anyway, just freestyling WCW can do no wrong though. The day after uh, Starcade, star they're in Baltimore, they draw 12,196 fans. It's a $225,000 gate, the largest in the history of Baltimore, which has historically been a strong city for WCW. Uh, and this is where we would see a really strong Bret Hart interview where he's cutting anti NWO comments and, uh, also talking about Hulk Hogan, which, uh, is obviously what he's here for. Um, and then we're, we're starting to build towards thunder because it's being teased that we're going to see exactly what's going on with Hogan and Bischoff and sting in the world title. They have a match in Baltimore. That's probably better than the one they had at the pay-per-view.
2: Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah. That was uh that was quite a, uh, that was quite a show. It really was.
0: And the show is hot. It does a 4.6 rating. And of course, eventually they're going to get another opportunity to do that. uh, And and they're going to tease that here for the very first thunder. Um, The NWO house shows was something that was kicked around as one of the possible ways to help pay for thunder, but that got scrapped after the rating came in for December 22nd, where they did the takeover of nitro. How far down the line do you think the discussions got about NWO house
2: shows? Well, it, it you know there was a discussion at Thunder as an NWO show,
0: right? But I'm talking about house shows, like two separate touring brands, a WC, much like Raw and SmackDown is now. Instead right. of just doing one gr- one group of shows for WCW, there'd be an A and a B. It would there would be a WCW house show, and then there would be an NWO house show. I know that the the rating from the 22nd totally killed that dead. But right. do, you, do you recall? there being serious discussion prior to that, or is this dirt
2: sheet bullshit? No, they, they, it's not dirt. it's not dirt sheet bullshit. There were serious discussions about making it its own brand, but two things happened here. Number one happened was how shitty that, that takeover was. And number two, all of a sudden someone brought up and I don't know who did this, but it was, it may have been someone like a Zane Bresloff or a Gary gesture who was, in, you know, who were produ- promoters in charge of our house show saying that if you have an NWO show, who do they wrestle right. each other? Right. That was brought up and, uh, calmer heads prevailed.
0: Isn't it crazy? There one. was even a discussion where nobody thought of that right away.
2: Yeah, Uh, exactly. We should mention two weeks prior
0: to the Thunder debut, Bischoff holds a meeting with all the wrestlers on December 22nd, the one where they did the awful NWO takeover. And they said they didn't want any low blows, no lewd gestures of any kind, no swearing. He wants to differentiate themselves from the WWF because they're going to have a sponsorship problem because of the content. And he goes out of his way at that meeting to praise Craig Leathers, Annette Yother and Kevin Sullivan for writing great television. Do you yeah. remember this meeting? Mm-hmm. Did you feel like, uh, you know, that some of the raunch was necessary knowing you're going to add another two hours to the program every week with thunder?
2: No, I didn't think it was necessary. But what I remember from that meeting was all of us kind of rolling our eyes when he said to get Annette Yother's name. And why is that? She knew nothing about TV. Nothing. So here's my question. Why did he say her name? Because give her credit. She busted her ass. Uh, and, uh, she, uh, Eric always said that if in the middle of the night, he told this story many times in the middle of the night, if I need a bag of shit delivered to my house at 3 a.m. And I call Annette Yoder; she would make sure that bag of shit got there. But she was not a TV person, right? And if she wrote the shows, we're fucked.
0: <laughs> well, you weren't fucked just a few days prior to this. You guys sold twenty three thousand fifty eight tickets at the Nitro three days prior. The gate was five hundred and ten thousand. I'm giving you these numbers because I want you to be able to compare. They got 4,000 motherfuckers here for Thunder, y'all. 85 grand at the door. Three nice. days prior for Nitro, it's 23000 bucks. and 510000 It's unbelievable yeah. the difference between the two. Um, they're headed towards sold out, and that's the angle we're really trying to push. That's the next
2: pay-per-view. And uh,
0: Meltzer would say uh, that that I, night-
2: I, I need to correct you. It was Snickers sold out. Sorry. We're,
0: we're headed towards Snickers sold out. Thank you. We needed that sponsorship to fund thunder. Uh, (laughs) It was, it was what Meltzer called an uneventful television show that nitro, except for the tremendous confrontation between Ric Flair and Bret Hart to build to their pay-per-view main event on January 24th. And it teased an NWO split, which was designed more to build ratings for the debut of thunder on January 8th. Now the tease goes down when Eric Bischoff is hit in the back with a chair by the macho man. And this is where we start to see maybe some cracks in the foundation of the NWO. And people were really curious about this. And right. now we already have our sold out pay-per-view starting to take shape. We've got the giant versus Kevin Nash, which was originally scheduled for Starcade, uh, but Kevin Nash had indigestion Lex Luger versus sting. I'm sorry. Lex Luger versus savage Larry right. Zbyszko versus Scott hall. Again, that's been set in motion a long time and rick flair and bret hart and so that's going to be sort of the theme for these thunder shows as well trying to sell um the sold out pay-per-view one of the the early things that uh, happens on thunder is the confrontation with rick flair and bret hart and we've talked a little bit about bret hart coming in and maybe how wcw had mishandled him but when he starts with rick flair their in-ring confrontation there's a lot of energy in the ring. Like it feels yeah. like a big
2: deal. Does it not? Yeah. It, it, yeah. You're not kidding. It felt like a big deal with us as announcers too, that we're going to, we're seeing something like this, you know, Flair. One of the things I remember about that interview, uh, is Flair saying, I want you to say to my face, what you always say. Talking and everybody knew what he was talking
0: about. The best there is, the best there was, right. the
2: best there ever will be. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, it was great.
0: A lot it, of energy. It did feel like it was a little rushed because they're doing that on the fifth and they're having the match on the 24th. So not a long time to build it. Uh, in that same promo, Flair said something like 10 years ago, I could have had a great match with a broom, but now they've got to at least have a pulse and, uh, they continue that build. It's sort of fun to look at the way nobody really knew what was going on with the world title. And one of the rumors that was popular at the time, I don't know if you ever heard this, was that Sting and Hogan didn't get a lot of heat at Starrcade because when the real Sting was in the ring and he walked in from the back and he was selling for Hogan and then Hogan pinned him, supposedly a lot of fans in the crowd thought it was someone dressed up as Sting. Again, it was a fake Sting. Have you heard that theory before? I've never heard that theory. A lot of fans but, according to the dirt sheets thought that yeah. the real Sting was going to repel down and reveal that hey, that was Rouge, you didn't beat the real Sting. The, the fake Sting came from the back. I'm the real Sting that came down from the ceiling. I hadn't heard that wow. before, but that actually makes a lot of sense.
2: Makes plenty of sense to me. Absolutely, I agree to that. And not only that, you know, we I think we talked about on the uh, on our Starcade uh, episode, Sting did not look well, of course he didn't look the same because of his face paint, but he looked smaller. Right, he didn't look as big, so you know it could. uh, And he didn't talk, and he didn't talk to Thunder, so I I can see where fans think this is not the real guy.
0: There was a a talk uh, online that they were trying to do uh, Hogan and sting in a cage in Las Vegas. And there was talk that that might actually be a special. It wound up not being a special. It was just a house show in Vegas where they did flair and Hart, page and Henning, hall and savage against giant and Luger. But Hogan and sting in a cage is a money match. Do you remember there being conversation about that being more than just a house show? Uh, no, I do not. A- around the same time. And we were talking about the different talent coming in another guy you got signed, and he debuts on a Saturday night taping right before thunder is Marty Janetti. Did you ever have any interaction with Marty Janetti?
2: Yeah, I knew Marty. Marty was, Marty was a pretty good kid. Uh, and, uh, I think Marty also got involved in that, uh, those problems over in Belgium that I was there with Coco beware. Right. And yeah, he was involved in that, but yeah, Marty, you know, we always kind of looked at Marty as a pretty good tag team, right? Marty to us, was kind of like a Robert Gibson.
0: That's a great analogy.
2: Yeah. Just uh he wasn't really the star, Shawn Michaels was. And but he was a good wrestler.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh it's it's interesting to me that it's reported in the Observer here that the newspaper television listings including TV Guide uh, had the January 8th show listed as a movie. It wasn't even listed as Thunder. Is, yeah. And what's interesting to me the most, I guess, is this isn't the WWF, right? Who's a wrestling right. company. This is yeah. a television company right. who's not reporting to TV guide right. that they have a show. How fucking, right. well, That's the most WCW
2: fucking story of all time, is it not? Oh, it is. And it started a thing where we would look in USA Today at the TV listings on a weekly basis and see what they got wrong. Right. They would list guys on like nitro who were not even going to be on nitro or sure. matches that were not going to be on thunder. There were mistakes made all the time. We just laughed about it. Well,
1: well uh, rather than on, laugh on about it,
0: why not fucking do something? Who was doing that? Who was in charge?
2: Uh, of that? You know what? We, we had too much going on. We right. did. We, we had too much going on and, uh, I, that had to be marketing that well, was doing that.
0: It's funny. You say that because if you have too much going on, eventually you ain't got nothing going on
2: a bingo. Absolutely. And, and I'm talking about on the production sense, we would just laugh at that. And I, I remember saying to, uh, some of the guys in production, I said, what are these days we're going to see it called WWF Monday nitro. I said, watch it be that like that.
0: One of the, um, one of the big stories that breaks in the observer, which I'm sure was by design Uh, was a lot of speculation about Mike Tyson and Hulk Hogan. There's a theory going around that they were trying to put together Mike Tyson versus Hulk Hogan at the WWF's WrestleMania. And of course, we know that Mike Tyson did indeed come in in time for the Royal Rumble, and he was there through WrestleMania 14. But we've talked about this a little bit with Bruce Pritchard on something to wrestle with. It's a pretty tricky situation where Hulk Hogan is playing both sides against the middle to try to leverage for a better deal. And Bruce has told the story where he felt like Vince was being worked by Hogan because Hogan had reached out and wanted a meeting, but he didn't want to meet in private. He wanted to meet in public. So it goes from being very secretive about, they can't know to no, I don't want to meet in a hotel room. Meet me down here at the restaurant. And allegedly he's doing this in hindsight just for a better deal. But there was talk at least for a little while that maybe Hogan may be making a jump here to the WWF. He winds up signing a new deal on January 12th, which is actually four days after this, uh, after this thunder that we're going to discuss here, which is perhaps one of the reasons that the contract was held up. And maybe one of the reasons why, according to the rumor and innuendo Hulk Hogan asked Nick Patrick to not count fast. Do you remember there being some concern that Hogan, your
2: hottest star, may be on his way out? Yes. And I remember Eric saying that there was a concern, but he was confident that Hogan would sign or re-sign with us. And the reason was that he could offer something to Hogan that Vince could never offer him. And that was total control of his matches and character. Vince would never do that. And that was Eric's ace in a hole. So he got him. That's how he got him to resign.
0: Uh, he got himself one heck of a raise and Meltzer says some are saying $1.5 million per year, which is obviously much more than that. Uh, Um, speculate, here's what he wrote. Speculation went crazy. Most of the industry believing it was all fueled by Hogan to use it to sweeten his deal that Hogan would be headed to the WWF. WCW had all along claimed Hogan's, but was with them with the exception of the Thursday afternoon. When the rumors got very strong, it didn't appear that a story, many people on the inside were taking seriously, although it became the number one topic on the outside WWF officials who were theoretically would have had to have known were largely consistent in claiming there had been no negotiations whatsoever with Hogan, claiming they were under the impression he was under contract all along. And the last thing they wanted to do is to ruin their lawsuit against WCW by tampering with contracted personnel. Right. Um, do you think Hogan played both sides against the middle here? I don't think there's
2: any question. Looking for a better deal. Hogan's a very, was a very shrewd business guy. I mean, he wouldn't have been Hulk. There was more to Hulk Hogan than just the guy in the ring. He was very shrewd about what he, what he could do. And, uh, of course he did. There's I would have done this. I would have done the same thing. Of course.
0: Yeah. Um, Meltzer wrote sources close to Hogan claimed that on January 7th, which is the day before thunder Hogan met with Dr. Harvey Schiller about a new deal as the negotiations had gone over Eric Bischoff's head. Do you recall that being the case that it was even over Eric's pay grade? Yep. Supposedly the speculation about USA network picking up the television show being a tie-in for a move to WWF were denied as Hogan claimed one had nothing to do with the other. So Mm. allegedly this show they're working on shadow warriors was being pitched to USA. And maybe there was a theory that that could work to Hogan's advantage. If he was able to pick up a TV show, maybe they could sweeten the deal. And I've got to think that WCW Eric Bischoff specifically would have been shitting bricks at the idea of a hulk hogan versus mike tyson pay-per-view fresh off of hogan drawing one of the biggest pay-per-views in 97 and tyson doing the same
2: yeah you're right my friend
0: rumor got out of hand uh so out of hand that it was actually reported in mainstream newspapers that the WWF hotline had claimed hogan had signed a two-year deal with their organization which is not true they never reported that Uh, And there was speculation about which TV taping on January 12th that Hogan would appear at, Monday Night Raw or Nitro. On the 8th Thunder show, in addressing the rumors actually on air, Hogan claimed he was where he was for life. But, of course, given Hogan's track record for honesty, that only fueled the rumors more. So lots of jockeying here to not only figure out what to do with this new show, but whether or not you can keep your biggest star, is there any wonder that Eric Bischoff had a fucking meltdown?
2: Yeah, I, I listen, listen, uh, Eric and I were at one time very close and this was prior to him becoming the leader of the company. And I've, I've mentioned this story before that the night the day that he got it, uh, his wife and I and Lois and I, uh, We all went out to dinner at a Mexican restaurant on Peachtree road. That Mexican restaurant is no longer there. Uh, and I remember telling him, I said, buddy, you're going to change. I said, this job is going to change you as a person and it's going to get very, very tough. And he said, well, I hope when it gets that way that I can count on you. And I said, yes, you can. But he didn't. Uh, and he counted on some other people that he shouldn't have counted on. And, It, it just got too much for him. It really did.
0: Well, the, the thunder we're talking about here, the debut show drew a 4.02 rating. And there's three hours here for the debut 3.75 for the first hour, 4.25 for the second hour and a 4.03 for the third hour. It got a 5.99 share. And we should remind you this went head to head with maybe the strongest lineup NBC ever had on Thursdays. You Mm -hmm. had friends Seinfeld and ER. And uh, of course, it's mostly remembered for the Ric Flair Bret Hart promo. Uh, in fact, Meltzer wrote, even though the show was almost totally forgettable except for another great in-ring interview confrontation between Flair and Bret Hart, the audiences the audience is into the hype and pageantry of WCW wrestling. The show actually peaked for a replay of the Bischoff Zabisco Starcade match and remained strong until basically dying for the poor Diamond Dallas Page and Kevin Nash main event, where ratings fell from a 4.3 to a 3.4. Uh, the show was supposed to go three hours and be immediately followed by a replay, which did a 1.3 rating, but it actually went about 15 minutes long due to the Hart and flair deal going for much longer than they were supposed to. It was said to have been the highest rated debut for a weekly series of the history of cable, which is somewhat misleading since NFL games always draw better. It's got to be a huge success, though, man, when you guys come out with any sort of rating against that strong NBC lineup, the Turner executives had to be thrilled, right? Oh, everybody
2: was thrilled to death with it. And that was a concern for us. (laughs) I hate to say it that way, but it was. If they're really thrilled with us, how much more are they going to heap on us, right?
0: Well, they did it because on January 26th, that became effective. Nitro is now three hours every single week. Right. And the decision was made because of the success of uh, of Thunder, and because WWF ratings were showing significant growth as soon as Nitro went off the air for the last few weeks. So there's a suggestion that maybe we can counteract that if we just go a little longer. And I, I would say this is one of those deals where if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Because yeah, on boy, the fifth, right before this Thunder, Nitro did a 4.3. Coming on the heels of this Thunder, Nitro did a 4.52. So they're really solid ratings, but for whatever reason, they've got to have more, um, let's get into a little bit more rumor and innuendo, and then we'll get to the actual show and and we'll hit some highlights for thunder and we'll get out of here. There's a rumor that you guys had a thunder schedule for February 5th in the fucking Astrodome, but at the last minute it wound up being moved to Beaumont, Texas, because they thought it might not be wise since we just drew 4,000 in Daytona to run such a big venue for a Thursday. Wh- who do you remember making the decision to back up and punt on that?
2: Yeah. Eric made the decision on that. Look, we, there was a lot of, they would have a lot of meetings and, and, and I mentioned the name, the uh, Zane Bresloff who has since passed on. And I mentioned Gary Jester who works on now, I guess for ring of honor. Uh, and those guys were kind of on the front line. We also had Chip Burnham who's passed away. We had Ellie Murnick, uh, who has passed away, uh, recently, uh, those guys were kind of on the front line for us. Now, I may be missing some guys on the front line for us for buildings. There were, You know, there was a war going on. There was always a war going on for ratings and television, but there was always a war going on for venues. Right. Uh, between companies. And, and they would come up with something like that. Well, Eric, by the way, we could get the Astrodome if you want it. And Eric says, well, let me think about it. And then Eric would put the kibosh on it. So. You know, I, I'm not. I'm sure one of those guys, a couple of those guys, would always talk to the dirt sheets, and that's how the rumor would get out there. That a lot of times those buildings were available, and they would say, "Oh, by the way, we can run the Georgia Dome," and Eric would say, "Okay, yeah, no, whatever," and that's how it would get out there. And I, I think a lot of those are are really uh, taken. I don't know if out of context is right, Conrad, but they weren't. I don't think they weren't as seriously considered. As it, as you make it out to be, I wanted
0: to ask about merchandise here because we haven't really talked about it a lot, but we have talked about how hot merchandise was here, but how were the guys paid on merch? You know, WWF performers are famous for getting these giant statements. You know, they're 50 pages long and it shows everything that was ever purchased and all the returns and what your piece is. And then there's a check in there and some of the guys on the main roster, who you don't think of as being main event guys make six figure quarters with these checks, even in 2017. Do you remember WCW paying the guys royalties and it being a significant amount on merchandise and things
2: like that? Uh, I do. And and I only remember this because of what I got one time. Uh, I don't know how they were paid. I don't know how the guys were paid. But I got an unexpected big chunk of money from the video games at EA Sports because I would go to Vancouver during this time uh, every, like, twice a year, maybe three times a year. And they would fly me up out of Atlanta first class, put me in a hotel, and unless you've done voice work on video games, you have no idea how difficult that work is. Sounds silly for me to say it was difficult work but it was difficult work. They would put a script in front of you that was big as a New York city phone book back then. And you would have to read all these lines, different inflections. And there were some pretty tough days. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent here. One day I was given a check for $15,000, $15,000 to me for my voiceover work on the first video game. And those were my royalties. So if I got that, Right. What the hell did they get?
0: That's a great point, and and we get a lot of questions about what the video game payoffs were. The reason I brought it up here is because that Georgia Dome Nitro we mentioned a minute ago with the huge house, they did a hundred and seventy six thousand dollars in fucking merchandise that night. By the way, wow. this first Nitro or this first Thunder did eighty five thousand dollars at the house. I mean, unbelievable the amount yeah. of merch that you guys were able to move here. I guess we should talk about your favorite Deborah McMichael, because in all these Mm. signings, she's actually dumped here. Uh, They've nixed the idea of her managing Ric Flair as a heel. And I guess we should backtrack over the past few months. Now they've gotten rid of Sherry, Nancy Sullivan, Jacqueline, and now Deborah. So Kimberly's involvement is just to lead Paige's ring entrance and be a nitro girl, which means the only other woman with a role is Elizabeth Is Elizabeth, uh, sort of the last one in this game of musical chairs just because of Randy? Yep. Even though they're not together, Bischoff understands he wants Elizabeth taken care of.
2: Well, you know what? I think it's well known that even though that they were not together, Randy always made sure she was taken care of. Right. At least that's what I always heard. So, uh, he was good to her that way. And that's why she was still with us. Uh, I mean, look, we, we obviously didn't know, we didn't know, and we were under a lot of constrictions, you know, uh, we talked about, you know, trying to cut back on, on the, uh, innuendos and sexual innuendos or whatever, but we didn't know how to use Deborah, and Vince did what have been the best way to use Deborah the way Vince did. You may not like it, but it was a success. We didn't know how to do it except have her come out as queen Deborah with her sash and her crown and that just wasn't the way to do it. So,
0: you know, it's funny is out of, out of instinct, I almost said, when you said, what's the best way to use Deborah, I almost said, strut that ass. Have you ever seen the strut that ass video? No, I want you to type in your Google machine, strut that ass. And the very first thing you'll see is a roughly two minute long video of a guy from Huntsville, Alabama talking about strut that ass. We don't have to do it here on the show, but you listeners will enjoy mm-hmm. strut that ass. And it might actually be a t-shirt next week because we
2: put everything on a t-shirt over at dot Do we not? We put everything on a t-shirt and, uh, the Steinerized t-shirt has been very hot for us with the, uh, different colored Sharpies. Uh, although I'm not so sure that back then the actual use of the Sharpies in the famous story that we've told, we're all colorized. I think they were all black Sharpies Well, they were at that when time. it
0: was over. You know, they were black <laughs> and red. I, my, my favorite is still forearm, forearm, forearm. And I think what I like best about this, and Tony, you may not have even noticed this, you can get this in every color possible. Red, black, royal, Irish, sport, gray, charcoal, navy, sapphire, uh, heliconia, dark leather, yep. chocolate, purple, military, cardinal. All the colors are there for your forearm, forearm, forearm. Hashtag NFLTG finger licking, cat bath the Giganta baloney, married for life. I broke Wahoo's leg. Loki, Big Hog, Tommy Young, easy way, hard way. You pick the pod father. Damn, I'm good. I don't know that I told you this, but I gave a lot of these as Christmas presents this year.
2: Did you give any of these as Christmas presents? I did not. I did not. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't. I. Uh, but I, I thought about doing this, and I promise you, if I'm alive next year, we're going to do this. I thought about doing this, but it was too late to get them in. I thought about, we were, Lois said, we ought to take a family picture. We had everybody together for Christmas. I wanted that all the so kids. <laughs> and she said, I'll wear a Lois Rules t-shirt. You wear a Shivani blue t-shirt. And we'll have all the kids wearing Lois Rules t-shirts. I said, that's not bad. I said, why don't I, I wear a low-key big hog t-shirt? Yeah. She said, I, I want this picture to be reality.
0: Well, you could have worn the button on a uh, for a coat. A fur coat.
2: Right, right.
0: right. <laughs> I would really like it If Chris Schiavone's wife Would wear a cat bath t-shirt We could not smarten her up And just let her wear it Do you think she'd
2: be in? Uh, no, she'd be smartened up Because Chris Schiavone's got a big mouth
0: Well, Matt Schiavone could sport The finger licking shirt,
2: right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, we we should have different shirts That's right I think it would be good And maybe
0: yeah. your daughter could wear Which one would you want her to wear? I'll let you pick
2: Maybe Flair hit it first Uh, No, it would be I broke Wahoo's leg. Mm. She's she's she uh, uh, in very many ways. If you know my daughter, and I know you know her, she's pretty tough. No Uh, shit. Yeah, in a fight, she'd beat her brother brother's ass in a minute. So uh, yeah, I broke Wahoo's leg would be right up her alley.
0: I was going to ask you know if all of your kids were in a fight who would win, but I think it would be your daughter.
2: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: If the boys had a
2: fight. Which one would you put your money on? Chris Shivani? Really? Yeah, because I've seen him in a fight before. He was the middle child. What's his finisher? Uh, uh, a kick to the nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, uh, he was the middle child, and he had twins below him, two boy twins, and he beat them up a lot. And then he would pick on Matt so much that Matt would get mad and storm out of the room. So, uh Well, he was the classic shit disturber.
0: Well, let's disturb some shit. And let's recap this uh, very first Thursday thunder, our first match. And I know, you know, this is historic, right? I mean, it's the very first thunder. You want to make your best impression. So why not drag Lee Marshall's ass out there? Right? So the announced team is Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan and Lee fucking Marshall. Is this a rib?
2: How did you guys get paired with Lee here? Well, Eric wanted something different. Uh, Lee was okay. Look, Lee was a good friend of his, uh, and in the backstage area, uh, and this is the next thunder that was in Lakeland, but this was kind of a test in the backstage area in Lakeland, our very next thunder. Eric said, okay, we're going to finalize these teams here. Lee, what would you like to do? Would you like to be the play-by-play guy or the color guy? And have Tony do color, and you do play-by-play. And Lee said, paused, and he said, color. And I remember thinking, Lee, do the play-by-play. I know that Dave Meltzer has said, and I know what you just said, that he didn't like Lee Marshall's work. I thought he had the greatest voice ever.
0: No, he does have a great voice, but he doesn't know Dick about wrestling.
2: Well, you can always produce him through that. I thought Lee should have been the play-by-play guy on Thunder. I did. And, I, and i'll and I'll think about that until till the till the end of time that Lee Marshall should have been the play by play guy on thunder because I've heard Lee his voice is so good, and when it's exciting, it really sounds exciting. uh And of course, you know, he's passed on, he was a good, good man. I feel bad that i i didn't didn't go to his funeral. Uh, I didn't know that he passed on until later. but uh hey I, I vote for him. When you say, what is Lee fucking Marshall doing there? I vote for him as a play-by-play guy.
0: Let me ask you this. The next week on the second thunder, you're not there. It's Mike Taney, Bobby Heenan and Lee Marshall. What
2: the fuck were you doing? Uh, I, I can't remember. Cool. They were trying, they were trying something out the following week. You're back. Yes, they were, I can remember. They were trying something out
0: the following week. You're back and you're there through, uh, April. And then in April, they make a switch again. And they go to a four man team with Shivani Heenan Taney, and Lee Marshall and and that rocks around again for I don't know a month. And then through the end of ninety-eight, for the most part, it's that same crew, with a couple of exceptions where Larry Zabisco pops in there for Bobby Heenan in November. And then it gets sort of scattered for the rest of the run, including stints where Scott Hudson would have a run there. <laughs> Mark Madden would have a run there. Jeremy Borash right. would have a run there. Conan would have a run there. And then, maybe my two favorites, Hoventtu Guerrera was given an opportunity an opportunity to do a commentary, as well as Kevin Nash and Stevie Ray. Of all of these sort of different guest hosts, who did you like the most, and why was it Stevie Ray?
2: Well, yeah, you said it, man. It was Stevie Ray. I thought Stevie Ray and I had a very good rapport. I, I just did. Uh, Stevie was a friendly guy that you could give and he was big look he was a big imposing strong guy that you could just give shit to and he'd take it right and he'd laugh it off and i thought that made for very good tv well
0: Uh, now that we know we've got the ace the the ace announcing team of bobby heenan who has been phoning it in for four years and lee marshall yeah and we've got tony Schiavone. let's bring out the big stars here comes chris adams (laughs) i thought the same thing what the fuck is this i know you need new talent but jesus christ we're doing a a deep cut here to pull we've dusted his ass off and he's out here with randy savage and uh i guess this is kind of (laughs) fun What savage loses to chris adams (laughs) with a little bit of interference from lex luger but still Uh, it's a hell of a, it's a hell of an angle. I'm enjoying it, but Chris Adams gets a win over Randy
2: Savage. Yeah. Wait a minute. It was a reversal. Oh yeah. Later. Okay. Yeah. Savage got the pin. So there,
0: uh, eventually here comes Hogan and Bischoff. Hogan's doing his thing, ripping off his shirt. Bischoff's introducing him as the world champion. Of course he's not. And Hogan says he's too big. He's too rich. He's too tan. And uh, it's a pretty good promo. I, I love yeah, this dude. era of Hulk Hogan, especially when he would talk all this trash, get his ass beat, and then come out on
2: TV the next week and talk like he won. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and then that's what heels. That's what, Flair said that years ago. He said that's what heels do. They they get on TV, they brag, they cheat, they go to house shows, they get their ass beat, and come back the next week and lie about it. And that's what he'll do.
0: JJ Dillon is out next with Mike Tanay, and he's explaining that he's upset that Lex Luger had interfered. He has to follow Nick Landro's orders, which he had put out, uh, the prior week on nitro where you're not allowed to interfere in matches. And so he's going to have no choice, but to reverse the decision. This brings Luger out and he says he's sick and tired of it. The NWO has run roughshod over WCW for years. And now that WCW is fighting back now, the brass want to step in and he says, they're done. And I thought this was a really good Lex promo. This is a time One where Lex, Lex yeah. didn't have great promos, but this was a fucking really solid promo.
2: Great promo. Uh, of course, compared to JJ, you know, anything's great doing a promo. Uh, but he had a lot of, uh, lot of fire, a lot of intensity in this promo. And I agree. I liked it. I like what he said that. And, and you, you almost, you, you got it, what he was saying, that we have been enduring all this NWO shit for months. And now all of a sudden you're going to come down on us because we're trying to, you know, return fire. So I, I think, uh, I think it, it got the, it drove the point home it and it resonated and that's what great promos do. So I agree. One of his best ones.
0: Uh, next up, we've got Luis Piccoli taking on Rick Martel. Both of these mm-hmm. guys, relatively new signees again for thunder, um, I guess we should mention surprise surprise Rick Martel gets the crab on Louis Piccoli and that's it it's over Martel gets the win. I guess we should point out now we're two matches deep and three of the four performers are dead.
2: Yeah, I think Louis died uh, later that year, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, so Louis was Louis had a lot of talent, man. Had a lot of talent. And um they we even used him a little bit on Thunder, if you will recall. As a commentator, do you remember that?
0: I do, yeah, next up, we get a, a recap of Hall and the Giant at Starcade, and then we're treated to Tenzon and O'Hara. What's your favorite Tenzon match?
2: It's probably this one i the Bobine's comments about O'Hara was were tremendous. He said he even have an airport named after him <laughs> and, and then he said he looks like he's pulling a rickshaw. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> to what he said, because of that hat that he had, uh, I thought that Tenzon coming out with an NWO shirt on made no sense at all.
0: No, he's None. a part of, um, NWO Japan, I guess he gets the okay. win here with a diving headbutt. yeah. Uh, and next up we recap the whole Bret Hart, Ric Flair showdown and we're yep. treated to Jericho Ric Flair, which if you fast forward, like, I don't know, 15 years, these guys are going to be wrestling in a much different circumstance at SummerSlam. Oh, two. But it goes down here, and believe it or not, Ric Flair won a match with the figure four. Uh, this is uh, much better than I thought I had any business being because this was like a major Styles clash. But credit to both of the guys because I think it's one of uh, the better matches from this month, uh, you know, January
2: 1998 on TV. I agree. Uh, th- the bad thing about this match is. And the bad thing about all these matches is, and, your, and I sent commentary.
0: you a text. The the worst it, thing is your commentary.
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, oh, you were being it, serious. It, I was being a smartass. No, I'm serious. I'm actually serious. Uh, if I can break it down for you here, a couple of things. Uh, I, and and I was I was I'm trying to think how much I was produced back then, but Tony Schiavone basically ignored every fucking match on this card just to promote you're gonna see footage from nitro that when we went off the air from Baltimore that you've never seen before because we had to go we're out of time. Uh and I completely seemingly to me now I completely made each match not mean anything. And that just goes against the grain of, of my upbringing in wrestling. I thought the great announcers in wrestling, the, the old school, great announcers before I got into it, like Gordon Soly, like Lance Russell, like Bob Cottle, those guys made the guys mean something, made the match mean something, made the match be exciting. Make you want to look at those guys. What was I doing during that tire thunder? I was talking about, Oh my God. Oh my God. You should have seen what happened to sting. Should have seen what happened with the NWO. Are they having problems? Looks like they are. My gosh, we're going to be showing you that we're going to show you and uh, something that you've never seen before fans, an entire match from a pay-per-view we're going to show it to you. And I ignored everything. I hated it. I I hated my work back then because of this thought my voice sounded pretty good. Uh, but it, it, it was wrong. Absolutely. It was wrong. If we wanted to make thunder seem different if you want to make thunder seem like its own show, we should have paid attention to the fucking show itself. And your play-by-play guy did not.
0: You also claim that this is one of Flair's, Rick Flair's biggest wins. Yeah, I know.
2: How about that? He beat Chris Jericho.
0: I, I never overhyped wins.
2: anything. Did I? Okay. Uh,
0: Jericho. This is maybe one of my favorite eras of Jericho. He runs off pinzer. Uh, he tears his jacket yeah. off and throws a Bur- fit. This is good stuff. This is Jericho stepping into his own. Is it not?
2: Yeah, it's Jericho. Jericho came up with all these ideas, you know, Ralphus, you know, me holding up his signs and everything, doing some stuff. Jericho was Jericho was uh, by far more advanced than any kid his age coming into wrestling at that time. As far as thinking about his gimmick, his character, because if you put more effort into your gimmick and character and you go to the bookers or the booker and say, I'd like to do this, they would always say, yeah, why not? Let's do it. They like fresh ideas. And Jericho always had those
0: sort of a fun match. Next we get Ming versus the giant, which feels like a little bit of a guilty pleasure. Of course, Ming has been promoted and and perceived to be this giant of a man who is, you know, impervious to pain. And here comes the giant who is the biggest motherfucker of all time. And of course we get to a spot in the match where Ming's blows have zero effect on the giant and he runs right into the goozle. Bam choke slam it's over. I found this booking to be kind of weird. I mean obviously a giant would beat Ming, but why even have this match because Ming had been sort of this unbeatable character, and now you sort of squash him here, do you not
2: yeah, you do, but you do it in uh to try to have a finish on a brand new show okay uh i i'm I'm not agreeing with that, but that's what the the rationale was there new show let's have him. Do a job to the giant.
0: Let's talk a little bit about what's next because it feels like this is the rematch no one needed. <laughs> Steve <laughs> McMichael and Goldberg. Yeah. Oh. Um, this is more of what we like, though, I guess, at the end. Goldberg, no sells, spears him, jackhammer, game over, and the fans are into it. So it's fun to criticize anything with Steve McMichael, or you know me. It's fun to criticize anything with Goldberg. But I was a little interested in the way the crowd was really responding to Goldberg here. The night after Starcade when he squashed Glacier, it was a huge reaction and more of the same here, right, Tony?
2: Yeah. The Goldberg was beginning to become, you know, the superstar that he became. And we were in the formative time of that. And, uh, although the spear on Steve McMichael was not a good one because of Steve's timing and turning around but genuinely getting good reaction from the fans. And we noticed, and we, we thought at that time, you know, here's a guy who is not talking, not doing promos and getting his ass over just by what he's doing in the ring. And it's, it was kind of road warrior warrior like, uh, because he just did did that powerful, you know, strong man type, the hook, what I call the hook. You know, you think this guy's bullshit and this guy's bullshit, but this guy's for real, man, Goldberg's for real. Goldberg is in there. He's really kicking people's ass. It's real for him. Now you, you will say Conrad will say damn right. It was real for him because he hurt people, but it looked real. Uh, and that's why he got over. Why do you think it looked real? Because it was
0: (laughs) match number seven, Conan and buff Bagwell take on the Steiners. Uh, arguably, this could have been at Starcade, but it wasn't um Of course, we know what's going down here uh Rick helps clear the ring out and then goes up top for the finish, uh, but it looks like Scotty decides to go to the other corner instead and finish him with a Frankensteiner so Scott Steiner gets the win, even though it looks like they're heading towards a split here, and we start to see maybe a little crack in the foundations with the Steiners. And you mentioned when we saw him at Starcade that this is the beginning of Big Papa Pump and that's never more clear than right here, right?
2: Yeah, well, absolutely. Absolutely. He is becoming the genetic freak that we've all come to love. We
0: talked about the Steiners on Bruce Pritchard's podcast something to wrestle and he says that in the WWF they absolutely refused to be split up. That Scott wanted nothing to do with it and maintained that he was going to be a tag wrestler with his brother you remember there being any hesitation about splitting them up?
2: Always hesitation about that. But, you know, Scott changed through the years and kind of, you know, went for this big pop-up pump, uh, stuff. And, uh, obviously we know w- where that went, but he never wanted to be split ever. I knew that.
0: I don't know when we're going to talk about thunder again, but a few months after this, uh, in April, I believe We would see Rick Steiner go to the top rope to come off with a top rope bulldog on buff Bagwell and buffs head would be released. And then he would hit it on Rick Steiner's back on the way down. And there was a very real moment in April of 98 on thunder, where it looked like buff Bagwell was going to be paralyzed. You were there. What do you remember about that
2: night? I remember us thinking that he was, that he was dead. And when I mean dead, I don't, I, I, his career was over. That's exactly what we all thought. And it was a very scary moment and we didn't know how to react to it. So we reacted the best that we could. I I did receive a number of, uh, of notes and emails from people who said, Hey, you did a great job on the buff Bagwell thing. Uh, and of course, later on, we would make a mockery of that injury when buff pretended to hurt his neck again. Uh, I remember one of the guys, that sent me a note was one of the guys that wrote for what I call Bill Lapter's magazine. Uh, let's see. Stu something, you know what I'm talking about?
0: Stu Sachs.
2: Yes. Tony. I just, a note here to say you did a great job on the buff Bagwell injury. Uh, I thought you did a a, 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 just a tremendous job. And I basically said, you know, fuck you, Stu, you guys have buried me for years. Go fuck yourself. Uh, so, I'm going on a tangent there again, but I, I do remember that moment. I remember that. I remember that kind of like remembering the, the Sid Vicious moment when he broke his leg. Oh, So and those are, those are moments that stick out.
0: Next up, we get a replay of Eric Bischoff and Larry Zabisco's match from Starcade, And yeah. then Tanae would call out Zabisco and Larry comes out talking about Scott Hall and how there's no chance he could beat Larry. And he made him cry back in the awa and that's why he hates his guts and he says that uh he's headed straight for larryland now and that he can bench 400 pounds and shoot a 73 and he's retired Mm -hmm. but he once wrestled in front of the president and the emperor of japan and the king of samoa and he did all of this while scott hall was in grade school picking his nose and he's going to change the nwo forever come sold out pretty strong promo from larry z right
2: one of the best promos we had in a long time. And, and again, it's, it's just old school stuff, knowing how to get over, uh, you wrestle, uh, and you have great promos. He also mentioned, uh, winning the match against Bruno San Martino in 1980 without saying Bruno's name. And we know he lost that match, but he also referenced that in that interview as well. Great promo. That's why Larry got over because he could cut great promos. he could work when he wanted to, he could cut great promos and he could do great commentary as well. His, his uh, commentary was kind of like Larry Zabisco promos. They made sense. You understood it and you were into what he said and it was a great promo. I also liked the shirt that he wore, which was orange and yellow. Hey, Hey, golden throat. What do you think? You think I should wear this shirt? Or should I wear the one with the three stooges on it? Hey, here, I got, I got a shirt. Here's a shirt that Kathy picked out for me. And I would say, Larry, pick out a fucking shirt. It was just hilarious shit with him all the time.
0: Next up, we got Scott Hall and Ray Trailer. And uh, at some point, Scott goes to the outside to grab a chair, but Larry's there and tells him to put it down. Hall gets back in the ring and wants a piece of him. So Larry gets on the apron, and Hall turns right into the trailer spike, and it's over. Ray Trailer pins Scott Hall. And this continues a little bit of a trend where Scott Hall has been putting a lot of people over. It feels very unselfish of him here. Wouldn't you agree?
2: Yeah, look, Scott Hall was, uh, for all the uh, personal problems that he had, he was a business guy. He always was. And uh, he made a lot of people look good because he was a good worker. And it was a good little angle to uh, further, or a good little thing that happened that night to further the angle with he and Larry Zabisco
0: hey guys did you put christmas on a credit card maybe overdo some holiday spending it was written recently that this christmas american family spent more than ever on christmas and a lot of families are putting on average around a thousand dollars on their credit cards a study recently showed that the average american family is going to take about five months to pay their credit card debt back but SaveWithBruce.com is here to make life a little easier We're going to get you a better mortgage. We're talking a better interest rate and show you how to pay your house off faster. But best of all, a cheaper monthly payment. We're also going to help you knock out all of your credit card debt. Don't get stuck making minimum payments and don't and make a resolution to save money. Do it with a couple of clicks right now. Get rid of all your credit card debt and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. 10 minutes is all it takes to get all the information you need about how to get a cheaper monthly payment and skip your next two house payments. If you haven't already, you don't have to make your January or your February payment. You're done until March first so let's recap skip a couple of payments get a cheaper monthly payment and get rid of all your credit card debt it sounds too good to be true but we can do it for you right now go to savewithbruce.com that's a MLS number 65084 equal housing lender next up we've got a great match with hooventude Guerrero and the ultimo dragon uh, they lock up and hooventude pushes them into the corner they lock up again and they're, they're into it very quickly. It's kind of fun. They don't get a lot of time here. But there's moonsaults. There's a 450. There's lots of fun action here. And it didn't get the highest of praise from Dave Meltzer. But I enjoyed this match. But I like both of these guys. Hoovy comes back with a DDT and then wins with the 450 at the end. He is now your cruiserweight champion beating the Ultimo Dragon.
2: I dug this match. What did you think? I dug it too. I'm, I'm surprised that Meltzer didn't like it. Well, why didn't he like it? Cause he thought they didn't have enough time to do their shit.
0: Um, he says it was a good, but not great match. They only had about four minutes and 20 seconds. So they yeah, didn't right, have a lot of yes. time.
2: Right. So I understand that. I understand that a lot of times when you've got guys who can do so many different things and you only give them about five minutes, they don't get all their shit in and they, you can't really tell a good story. But Hey, it didn't matter because the play-by-play guy was talking about something else. Anyway,
0: next up, Mike Tanay calls out Bret Hart who jumps at the pyro and laughs. His music is fucking awful. Um, <laughs> and, and he tells him that it's official. He's going to get a match with Ric Flair. It's sold out. And I thought that this is maybe the best segment on the show when Ric Flair comes out and they're in ring, they go, they go long, but it's good right. stuff. And If you're a fan of either guy, this is probably worth going out of your way to see it's not on the network, uh, but maybe it will be one day, but you can throw it in your Google machine. What'd you think of this segment with flair going off about how Brett's claiming he's better and it's good stuff, right?
2: Yeah, it's good stuff. And you know, Conrad, let them go as long as they want was the thought. That's what they did. You know, back in the old TBS studio days, uh, when the four horsemen would come out or Jim Cornette would come out or, uh, even Dusty would come out. Don't wrap me they, up. <laughs> that's right. They would, when the, when the, the, uh, the guy in front of the camera, the floor director, the floor person would wrap you up. It was when Dusty would, would watch and Dusty would say, wrap him up. There was no really time limit to that. And you had your matches around the promos. Back then the matches were squash matches right. and what drew you to the arenas were the promos. To me, this was very much old school. Let them talk. You know, if who has got to go five minutes with your play by play announcer, not talking about it anyway, why not surrender their time and let flair and Bret Hart, which is a big time match, have their moment in the ring. It's good. It's good. It's good. You know, uh, with the exception, I, I, I don't know how you felt about this show. I thought it was a pretty good show
0: for a debut show. I think it's pretty good. And, and, you know, it's a good show when Scott Norton is wrestling Lex Luger, right? Because it's (laughs) about to be a Matt classic. Um, they're up next and Norton's going to attack him right away. He's in control. Uh, but eventually misses the running splash. Luger's going off of lariats buff gets pasted. Uh, and then it's shoulder breaker time. And you guys put over that. No, one's ever kicked out of it. Of course they do here. Uh, right. And then Norton uh, gets racked. Savage comes down and misses with the chair and it's knocked down. So Luger stands tall. So pretty much a squash, but it continued this NWO storyline with Bagwell
2: and Savage in a big way. Yeah, it continued the storyline and that's kind of what the, all this was about.
0: Next up is what you guys have been building to all day. Mm. You're actually going to show, I can't believe this is real, but you're going to show the replay of sting and Hulk Hogan. So you've shown it from Starcade. now you're showing it from nitro. Lots of replays here. Uh, the belt is all over the place. Nobody knows what's going on. And we cut to thunder and today is in the ring with JJ Dillon. And he announces that the executive committee has reviewed the tape forwards and backwards. They've made their decision and he wants JJ or he wants Hogan to come out. Uh, and then he wants sting to come out and bring the belt and sting comes out wearing the belt. And he says the last 10 days have been stressful, but the decision is binding. And the conclusion is that effective immediately, the belt is being held up and vacated until they can come up with some sort of a decision. Sting is not happy. Hogan's celebrating. And then Sting actually talks and tells him that he has no guts and that Hogan is a dead man. Given the length of time we went without a sting promo, What'd you think of this as his first interview?
2: Uh, popcorn fart. Yep. Big time. Uh, and we tried to put it over as saying sting finally spoke. And the only thing I think he said was you're a dead man. You have no guts saying that JJ and looking at Hogan, you're a dead man. That's what he said. So Yeah.
0: Let's go to your main event. Diamond Dallas page is defending the United States title against Kevin Nash. Uh, Kevin Nash Meltzer would write, looked out of shape here based on his most recent injury. And he felt like the main event was, uh, not that great. Uh, In the end, we see DDP go for the diamond cutter, but Hogan would intervene and the bell would be wrong. So Nash then boots DDP and goes for the power bomb comes The giant, he enters the ring and it's a stare down. Nash knees him. They go back and forth. Hogan Jones uh, joins in and you're screaming. We got to go. Mm, the tape yeah. machines
2: are rolling. The tape machines are rolling. We are desperately out of time. We got to go. And as watching this again, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm trying to doing it right to the countdown. And a lot of times I would get like different fucked up countdowns. When, when Keith Mitchell would count me down, it was almost always right on. But if they had somebody else do it, uh, it was almost always fucked up. Counting me down the black. Uh, I would bet somebody else was counting me down that night.
0: Um, the ratings here, you know, are good, but the critical ratings of the matches, maybe not so awesome. Um, not a lot of fans dug the main event. What did you think of the main event?
2: No, I didn't dig it at all. Not, not at all. It, It reminded me of, uh a diamond Dallas page against Vinny Vegas. Somebody
0: counted up the actual amount of time with matches. Now, remember this is a little over three hours for this show. The total bell to bell time was 38 minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah. So doesn't
2: surprise me at all.
0: I mean, you needed some Gaga, but that seems a little ridiculous.
2: Well, and and that's us thinking we, 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 we can't, we don't have anything else to show them. Right. We gotta we gotta we gotta put some as we go we gotta roll in some footage here and that's what that was
0: let's run through and, uh what what culture called the top 10 moments from thunder history because I don't know when we'll cover this again I want to rapid fire these to you you give me a brief little synopsis of each or a couple yeah. of sentences would we'll you get those Twitter who'd questions. you get these from these are from our friends over at whatculture.com
2: whatculture.com
0: Yeah. And they, they sort of ranked the top 10 moments in WCW thunder history. Maybe the most memorable moments. You probably have an idea of what we're getting to, but number 10, according to their list is when Chris Jericho trolled Goldberg. And this happened on October 8th, 1998. It's when they knew, of course, this is when Goldberg is at his absolute hottest. He won the belt in July. Here he is in October. And Jericho is doing a grandstand challenge here and challenging the world champion. Of course, Goldberg's not there. And you're, you're here for the in-ring interview with Jericho. Some of Jericho's best stuff. This is during his Monday night Jericho era.
2: Yeah. We knew Chris Jericho was a big star. I, I knew, uh, through all of this, even back, even before when Dave Meltzer, uh, Dave Meltzer, Dave Pinter had his coat ripped off and Jericho was trying to calm down, because he was pissed off and mad. I knew that Jericho was going to be a big star
0: number nine. And this is something that's sort of forgotten about. I'm sure in February of 2001, teaming with his tag team partner, air Paris, who is a listener to this program, a young AJ styles made his WCW thunder debut, pretty big deal
2: to see a guy like AJ 16 years ago. Right? Yeah. And the thing about it is I remember AJ and I remember his debut and I remember thinking the kid is going to be very good. I also thought that he had kind of a southern twang to his voice, being from Gainesville, Georgia, I had to work on that, but he's still got it he, uh, now in the WWE, and he's their champion, and it all works.
0: This is a match I'm sure you remember really, really well from October 21st, 1999. It's Blitzkrieg and Kaz Hayashi against Silver King and Juventud Guerrera. What's your favorite memory of that match? <laughs>
2: Did I call that thing? Yeah, you did.
0: It was, uh, uh and, and I, I should mention that we've had lots of questions and it's almost like one of those wrestling lore things. A lot of guys were really big fans of Blitzkrieg. Do you remember Blitzkrieg? No. Well, no. You should go out of your way to see him. He did a lot of, uh, Blitzkrieg. A- a- aerial stuff. Yeah. He was, he was not with you guys a long time. He actually retired when he was just 24 opting to instead do it work. Um, which is probably a more stable biz than working yeah, for
2: WCW. Yeah, he's smarter than the rest of us.
0: Uh, number seven, the wolf pack would take shape on, was this right? Yeah. Later in 1998, May of 1998, it looks like, uh, that's when the wolf pack would sort of splinter off. And that happened on thunder in hindsight was the wolf pack a
2: mistake. Uh no I don't think I like the Wolfpack. I now tell. I, go ahead. All right, tell me who was the uh refresh my memory here, uh the uh the the first Wolfpack group who was a part of that. Well, you know
0: Kevin Nash, Lex Luger, Sting, those are your big Conan. Those are your big NWO Wolfpack guys.
2: Okay, yeah, Sting, painted his face red. That's right. Back then, yeah. So I, I didn't think that was a bad idea.
0: Um, we've also got Bret Hart's farewell appearance. It's kind of interesting that his twenty plus year wrestling career is finished up on Thunder when he's trying to goad Bill Goldberg into attacking him so Scott Steiner can hit him from behind with a pipe. The farewell for Bret Hart to big time pro wrestling is on Thunder.
2: Yeah. It Uh, does not register to me at all. No,
0: nobody else either. Number five.
2: Yeah, Yeah. It, it, look, it may be one of their top. I don't know if it says anything about Bret Hart, but if he's the best there ever was, ever will, ever will be. Shouldn't that moment resonate in pro wrestling annals?
0: Well, not see Goldberg knocked his fucking head into the fifth row. Okay. So that really put a damper on the end of his career. It's not like they could throw him a big retirement party like they did Rick Flair. Well, right. Okay. Number five, Goldberg's monster mash. He had a monster truck here in 2000, uh, and he's going for a joyride in the WCW parking lot before wrecking Rick Steiners ish in the process. What do you remember about this monster truck bullshit from 2000?
2: I remember it being bullshit. And we all thought it was bullshit. <laughs> That's what I remember.
0: January of 98, Ray Mysterio and Juventud Guerrera Guerrero tear it up. And, uh, it's still one of the matches that what culture recommends you go check out, uh, here on thunder. Number right. three is macho man, swan song. Uh, the last time we saw the macho man in WCW was on an episode of thunder in 2000, when he interrupted a 41 man battle Royal to join the millionaires club. Um, sort of a, a fairly shitty send off for one of the companies or one of the industry's biggest stars.
2: Yeah. You're not kidding. Um, uh, you know, but by, by this time we were just kind of, uh, going through the motions, circling right. the we were. drain. Thank you. Yep.
0: Uh, my two favorite though, here we go. Number All two, right. Goldberg injuring himself. You may remember the scene. There's a limousine. He's supposed to bash the limousine out. With a pipe or some such shit. Instead, he goes for an elbow instead of using his gloved fist. And he manages to cut a fucking artery and he's bleeding like nobody's fucking business.
2: Remember that very vividly.
0: Do you remember seeing that and thinking, oh God, we got to get him to the hospital. What was the, what was the situation like backstage that night?
2: Well, at first I thought we always thought that Goldberg was, we thought he was fucking nuts. When, when Bill Goldberg, when the smoke and, and they say, roll them three, two, one, ready to go, that he would become this other person that was nuts. Right. And when I, when he, when he started to bleed and everything, I remember thinking, oh shit, he's really hurt. But knowing fucking Goldberg, he'll just wrap it up and keep going on and won't bother. him But then we realized it was something very, very serious. And he missed some time because of that. If I recall. Last, but certainly not least. David Arquette
0: wins the world title on thunder. Wow, man. April I'll take blame of, for that. Yep. April of 2000. Send your hate tweets to at Tony Schiavone 24. This slapdick is who suggested it. So if you didn't know, now, you know, uh, let's get to uh, Twitter. You can also send some hate <laughs> tweets to us on Twitter at WHW Monday.
2: Is, is that how we're going to end this blaming Tony Schiavone for David Arquette?
0: Well, I mean, it happened on thunder. It's the worst day in the history of our great sport. And it's all your fucking fault.
2: Look, it was, look, look, it was not the worst day what? in the history of our great sport.
0: Okay. That was when WCW went out of business because you refused to actually go to your weight watchers meetings. You David killed Ar- WCW. It wasn't Eric Bischoff. It wasn't Jamie Kellner. It wasn't Vince Russo. It was Tony Anthony
2: Shivani. Oh, TAS. Uh, <laughs> no, no, Hang on. No, no. Okay. Yeah, I was a fat. I am a fat ass. I was a fat ass, and that's the one of the reasons it went down. I told everybody to watch uh, Mick Foley's uh, title turn, put butts in the seats, and that's another reason we went down. Uh, but the David Arquette thing was, I'm going to stand by it. Sorry, I'm going to stand by it. It got us on USA Today. It got us Kurt Russell uh, on it our saved show the, and save the
0: company. I mean, when Kurt huh? Russell came over. Raw started losing, right? I mean, people were like, I, I, I don't like Stone Cold, but goddamn Kurt Russell, Tango and fucking cash is here. You got Tango and no. Cash? Oh, it's just Tango. No. There's
2: no cash. It, okay. Okay. It got us what we wanted, which was mainstream media publicity. It didn't last long. He didn't have this big title run where he beat flair or he beat Goldberg or he beat Bret Hart, or he went up against the macho man, Randy Savage for crying out loud. It was a gimmick. It lasted what one week.
0: Let me ask you one day. Let me ask you smarty. Why do you want mainstream publicity?
2: Why do you want it? Why do you you, you want to be in the, when the people think wrestling professional wrestling, they think WCW. Did that happen? I think I think that I think they did. Yes.
0: Okay. So when Arquette was there, you got mainstream publicity, which meant more people were aware of it, which meant more people watched the show, and ratings went up. Right?
2: Not necessarily.
0: Okay. So it didn't work. Well, look, you can if, say that you want mainstream publicity, but you don't want it for the sake of the publicity. You want it because there's going to be something come to you monetarily from it. Mainstream publicity is only good if it results in dollars. Otherwise, you're a fucking idiot on TMZ. No,
2: but you, look, you, you put your name out there like Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola has all these billboards in Atlanta about Coke, uh, and whatever their catchphrase is now, especially during the holidays, they have the Norman Rockwell Santa drinking a Coke. Do you really think that you look at that and say, I'm going to go buy a six pack? Okay. No, it's, it's to get your name out there. I, it's to get you it, to get rec- It's, it's marketing. Don't
0: you think that if the Patriots, instead of signing James Harrison this week, if they would have instead signed Hulk Hogan, would they have got the name out there?
2: Boy, they, would pump. they have ever.
0: So why didn't they sign Hulk Hogan to play linebacker? Well, because he can't. So sort of like how David Arquette can't be WWE champion. It's,
2: wrestling is not real, you motherfucker.
0: You're saying the NFL's real? Yes. <laughs> You didn't see the end of that Eagles game a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> oh
2: Okay. All right. All right. Or the end of the, okay. Exactly.
0: I Let's get to at WHW Monday Jesus where everything Christ. is a work, including trying to do a podcast with Tony Schiavone. <laughs> uh, we asked you, Hey, the creation of WCW thunder. You got questions. We got answers. Well, we really yeah. don't, but I'm going to ask Tony and he's going to say, I don't remember or the booking committee.
2: Are you ready? I haven't said that one fucking time.
0: You did say, I don't remember. Here we go. Okay. Uh, Adam wants to know, why the hell was the juice an occasional commentator on thunder? Now he calls the juice Hooven to Guerrero, but I know right. him as, as his friends do as
2: the juice.
0: <laughs> so we were looking
2: we were looking for combinations to make it different.
0: I like that. You're yelling like that. Uh, Kent wants to know what's your favorite Horace Hogan match. Oh my God. Horace uh, Hogan, motherfucker. What's your favorite match? Don't say I don't know. You said you wouldn't say I don't know.
2: Uh, the, the Horace Hogan match when he faced the Macho Man Randy Savage he got beat with a tire iron.
0: I have no idea why the fuck Justin Williams is asking this. I guess he thinks you're a goddamn psychic. He says, well, you know, why, is it, we- why is it Thunder on the WWE Network? Well, let me ask you, Tony Schiavone, who works for the fucking Gwinnett Braves. Why is it Thunder on the WWE Network? Why the because- fuck isn't it?
2: You know why? I'll cool. give you the great answer, okay? Because Tony Giovanni's not a producer with the WWE Network. That's why. So if you were there, Thunder would it be there. It would be on. Worldwide Wrestling would be on. NWA Pro, Mid Atlantic, everything they have okay. would
0: be on there. Here's the deal if you enjoy this horse shit show we put on for you, <laughs> I need you to tweet at WWE Network and say, why don't you slap dicks hire at Tony Schiavone to get Thunder on the network? There no, you go
2: at Tony Schiavone twenty
0: four. Oh, my apologies.
2: Be, yeah, that's right. To be a producer on the WWE network. Okay, well, give he the instructions. To outproduce any of you millennial slap dicks that you have who never watched wrestling at all in your life, but you're producing shit for Vince McMahon.
0: Uh, Bad Money Slim wants to know, hypothetically speaking, if Eric Bischoff came up to you, Tony Schiavone, and said, we're going to name the show Thunder, but I'd like an alternative name, what would you have said? I would have called it
2: Bad Money Slim. We're out of time. Come on. Come on. Give me a real one. Give me a real one. No, he'll like that because I know him and he always wanted me to say on the podcast, I'd like for you to say Bad Money Slim. We're out of time. So there you go. Is this real? We just yeah. Just, no, yeah, well, yeah, I, I Hey, him tweet uh, Tony
0: with what the fuck you want him to say next week. And uh, if you send $5 to his PayPal, we will say the whole show is sponsored by you. Chris Arendt wants to know, when I wrestling don't. promotions stacked... Well, it's a $5 foot long motherfucker. I'm just saying. Uh, when wrestling promotions stack multiple tapings in one day, do they pay announcers, wrestlers, and staff more since they're doing more work, be it multiple matches, multiple shows, etc.?
2: They do not. You're an employee
0: and you're there. Tyler Swift wants to know, not Taylor, Tyler. Was there any talk of renaming it blunder?
2: (laughs) Yes. We wanted to name it that from the get-go. Thank you, Taylor. Tyler. Uh, Scott
0: Boyez says, my buddy and I used to call it Thunday Lucha Thursday because it always seemed to feature
2: luchadors instead of the top guys. Your response? My response was, you are exactly right. They wanted something different, something exciting. So let's let a bunch of luchadors flip-flop and fly all around the ring and not sell shit. Uh,
0: Mid-Atlantic Mike wants to know, what's your favorite moment from Thunder?
2: Uh, my favorite moment from Thunder? Um, I uh, My favorite moment for Thunder was when they let me be a be a color guy for a little while. Do you remember that, that time? Mike did the play-by-play. I was color along with Lee Marshall. What did you do color on? on? On Thunder. Yeah, but what match? What uh, it was, I, don't, I don't know what match it was. It was like a series of so events.
0: So, it was so great, you don't remember it.
2: Yeah, yeah right. Okay.
0: Um, Paul wants to know, what was the best match ever on Thunder?
2: Uh, the best match ever on Thunder was probably... Chris
0: Chris Adams. Adams (laughs) (laughs) I fucking hate you. We've been hanging out too long, but I'm like, he better say Chris (laughs) Adams with Macho Man. And we said Chris Adams so fast, I want to say Jinx. Uh,
1: JK. That started us out. That was the opening ballot of Thunder. Okay. Ted wants us to bring out the big stars for the new show. So
0: Macho Man's pissed because we didn't even book him on our biggest goddamn pay per view ever until Conan. Laid out sick. He wasn't even sick. He had a make-believe girlfriend like Manti Tao. I don't know how I know what that is from 15 years of the future, but I do. Let's go with it. And Macho Man needs a big push. So let's put him in the debut match against a big star from his day on Thunder. Chris Adams, fuck it. You'll do. And we'll say... This is the guy who taught Stone Cold Steve Austin, and now Macho Man is going to beat the shit out of him.
2: Oh, and we'll back
1: him up with Louis Spicoli. Yeah, that's a great show. Where's Rick Martell? Drag his ass out here. It's time for a little Can-Am Express. We can't get
0: Tom Zink on the horn because he disappeared. But maybe we can get Martell out here to strut that ass. Has anybody fired Debra yet? Get her ass out of here.
2: You know what? You know what is really funny about all of that? What? It probably really sounded like that at times. Probably. <laughs> That's right. Uh,
0: Jake wants to know who thought this shit was a good idea.
2: Uh, Ted Turner.
0: Jared wants to know, am I the only fan who has good memories of thunder? Yes, you are. Uh, late to the nitro party asks any memories of Rick Martel and WCW seems like a forgotten era of his career
2: because it is yes i forgot all about it until i watched it again i went holy fuck we had rick martell he showed he
0: showed up in shape he always had good matches he feels he feels like a a poor man's kurt the way you guys presented him though yeah Uh, why do you think rick martell didn't connect more was it eric bischoff was threatened by his his devilish good looks uh he was in too good a shape and intimidated hulk hogan he didn't injure anybody so goldberg didn't want to work with him what's the Mm.
2: thinking he was just too good looking. And Eric thought he was the best looking guy on staff.
0: Have you seen the Eric Bischoff Barbie doll?
2: Uh, you're bullshitting me.
0: No, I'm going to tweet it out. Uh, remind right. me, uh, Twitter machine folks at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. I have a picture of a custom Eric Bischoff doll, uh, Corgan hammersmith, which is definitely a real name yeah, I uh, asks, why did the set change multiple times?
2: Uh, we would look at it or Eric would look at it and say, I hate that shit. And then David Crockett would say, well, it's going to cost you more. Well, go ahead and change it. And we would change it.
0: He also wants to know how did thunder manage to get its own video game? Because yeah, Trail already I, had one.
2: Ta-da.
0: Yeah. Uh, just Scott wants to know how many episodes in were you before someone
2: suggested you cancel the show? <laughs> Well, the, uh, the first production meeting, someone suggested, can we cancel this shit? We got lives.
0: Uh, agent funk, also a real name wants to know who was the machine and why was he hyped so much to only wrestle one match and lose
2: to DDP? Well, the machine was somebody that we thought we had a lot of potential, but then we realized what the fuck. And that was it.
0: Do you remember who it was?
2: I do not. Do you know who it is? No. Okay. See,
0: it's from February 2nd, 2000 though, is when the match goes down. Um, okay. You know, it's one of those deals where you guys had so many dudes in and out. It's sort of hard to keep them all straight. Is it not?
2: It is. Did you put that in your Google machine?
0: I did. I just (laughs) pulled it up. And what is Who was it? Uh, I don't know. He's wearing a mask. I'm trying to figure it out, but he did get a he Did get a big entrance here. He's a big yeah. fucking guy. I should know who this is. Hmm. I'm going to find out who the machine is. I'm almost embarrassed. Well, I'm almost embarrassed that I don't know this. All right. Um, Anton Alphonse wants to know, uh, thunder was one of my favorites to watch. I heard production was costly. Was thunder the financial nail in the coffin for WCW?
2: It was, uh, the beginning. Yes, it was no question. It, it got to a point, And I think you guys know this where, uh, we could not afford to do it live anymore, and we would just do it the next night and tape it for for Thursday and then scurry back and post it. Hey, I just found out on my Google machine that Emery Hale was the machine. No, oh, so not they, my Google machine. It was the machine, not the Google machine, but that was his name. Uh, v
0: wants to know who's telling you what to do. From the truck during
2: situations like the Steiner-Bagwell injury? Uh, from the truck during that injury, no one's telling me. Everybody's like, oh! we're just going to keep it here. Craig was probably in my ear a couple of times. said, just keep it going. Just call what you see uh, because we're all scrambling here. Uh, I've, Craig Leathers probably at that time. And Craig was the director too. So when, you know, it wasn't necessarily my producer. So when Craig would talk to you, you knew that something was up.
0: Um, chat me up about mm, the up. nitro, the nitro girls. Why weren't there thunder girls it comes from Carl Hayes?
2: Yeah, I, I think because they just wanted the nitro girls to be a unique thing. If you put out thunder girls, uh, then you're just kind of, you kind of bastardizing your product. Kind of like if you put out a thunder show, you're kind of bastardizing your Monday nitro show, right?
0: Uh, here comes the pain was the theme song for the show for a little while done by Slayer. Did you ever mm. meet Slayer? Any feedback on Slayer? It feels no. like uh, a big investment for you guys to use Slayer yeah. theme song.
2: Right. It was a big investment for us, but I never did meet him.
0: Uh, Carl wants to know what mid card wrestler do you think would have benefited the most from appearing regularly on thunder? And why was it Chris Adams? <laughs> I I added that part. You made that
2: shit up. I I did.
0: Okay. Who do you think really benefited the most from thunder? You know, there's like when they do the brand split a few years ago. Um, I don't know if you've even been paying attention to this, but right after they did the brand split originally, Heath Slater changed brands and he went from not being on TV to being a pretty critical player for a little while. He had a tag title run. He had multiple segments. He got a little bit of a push. It was a good character. You would have enjoyed it. He's still with the company, but after the brand split, that, that shuffle allowed him to shine. Do you think that happened on thunder with anybody?
2: The first one that comes to mind, what would have been, and this was later down the road would have been Chavo Guerrero.
0: There you go. Yeah. Um, chip wants to know if you're going to add a second show, why not make it one hour?
2: Uh, because we were run by a TV company chip and that's not what they wanted. Hey, I agree with you.
0: Carl wonders, did you guys ever consider making the U S title only be defended on thunder?
2: No, we never considered that at all.
0: Richie wants to know what about the night when Lee Marshall got hit in the head with a football thrown by a fan on camera?
2: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) do you remember that? Yes. Now I do. (laughs) We all had a good laugh at that. the <laughs> Lee sell it? And the reason we had a good laugh at that is that Lee never hurt anybody. Hit my ass in the head with a football. Oh, you hurt okay? people? <laughs> no. But, I mean, Lee is such a great guy and a great man, and he just wants to go out there and do a job, and some jack-off hits him in the head with a football. It was just hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> I told you the name that – I've said the name that Bobby called Lee Marshall, right? The nickname? No. Was was Goo? Oh, yeah. G-O-O, because Lee had had very poor eyesight, but he would never wear his glasses. So he was kind of like Mr. Magoo. So he always called him Goo. <laughs> and so the night that Goo got hit in the head with a football. <laughs>
0: We've got your tickle box here.
2: <laughs> yes. Lee Marshall never hurt anybody. If you're listening to this podcast and you're the Jack off the, heading move with the football shame on you,
0: but you're laughing shame your ass you. off about it. <laughs> Mr. James wants to know, is it true that they flirted with the idea of making thunder the wrestling show while nitro would be no wrestling at all. Just three hours of promos. I think Nash no. pitched the
2: idea. yeah. Uh, If he did, that never got to me, and that would have been kiboshed immediately.
0: Uh, Paul Johnson wants to know, was it named Thunder because Hogan was Thunder in Paradise, brother?
2: (laughs) No, it was not. (laughs) They wanted to have something explosive. We had Nitro. (laughs) Thunder. (laughs) (laughs) WCW.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like the way you built that joke up. Um, One of the things I saw was that Initially, you guys had trouble securing the name because ESPN had reserved the name for a stock car racing show. Do you Hmm. remember? Do you remember hearing that? No, not at all. Really? Was there ever a consideration? This is from Turner, uh, to WCW running as two separate brands, sort of like Raw and SmackDown is now.
2: Uh, yeah, there was talk about that, but, uh, the thought was that we have big stars and those big stars are big enough to put on all our shows. Uh, Wayne Smith
0: wants to know, were there separate agents, writers, bookers, et cetera, for thunder, or was everyone pulling double duty for both shows?
2: Everybody was pulling double duty. The only separation we had was WCW Saturday night back then, which was given to everybody, which was given to guys who would take it and run with it. Me, Jimmy Hart, Arn Anderson, uh, a couple more guys. And we were in charge of that show.
0: Brett screwed Brett, uh, tweets. What was hmm. WCW's lighting budget for Thunder, and why was it $12? Uh,
2: yeah. uh, it may look $12, Brett, but uh, it was in the uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands a year. Uh, James, uh, money not well spent.
0: John wants to know, with the addition of Thunder, why wasn't Saturday night dropped?
2: Pretty good question. Yeah, I, I, because everybody thought, and we even talked about this on the first Thunder. Everybody thought that WCW Saturday Night was an institution at 605 on Saturdays, and we should let it uh, stay as is. However, we made it less and less and less important, so in effect, we might as well have dropped it. There was a There was a talk at one time. I remember this uh, being talked about when Eric says when Eric told us there was going to be another live show that we're going to have to do we immediately thought we're going to have to go out somewhere every Saturday night and do a live show. Right. But that never transpired. Maybe in hindsight, that would not have been bad.
0: Uh, punk rock Canadian says, do you think Stevie Ray was as great of a commentator as I did? I think we agree on that. He was phenomenal. Yeah,
2: he was tremendous. I I agree with you, buddy. James green wants to know
0: why was there so much fog on the early episodes of
2: thunder? It's because of, all the pyro and all the effects and the smoke just stayed with us. That's all that's, that's, it's kind of like, it, it was, it's kind of like watching the third quarter of a super bowl, you know, after all the pyro and that halftime show. Yeah. Yeah. It just stays with you, man. Chris Roberts.
0: Uh, I saved the worst for last. I can't uh. believe this is a real question for our show. And, it, and when I read it, it made me wonder, what I'm doing with my life, but I feel Mm -hmm. like in the spirit of Klondike bill, I'm going to ask, not really expecting a real answer and expecting you to have some fun with it. Okay. Uh, Chris Roberts, where if you'd like to tweet him and shame him for this question, it's at C W R the number two, Tony, which of the nitro girls had a low key big snatch?
2: Um, well, I never did do any, uh, (laughs) What the? Can you believe this is our real life? This is what we're doing right now. I, I'm going to take the blame for someone like him. I mean, you brought it on. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm sorry. Uh, what's his name again? I don't remember. I've already closed the window. Uh, I closed the window I. I hope that hope that guy's not married.
0: Well, I mean, it's not like his wife has Twitter, you know.
2: <laughs> wow. What have we become, Conrad? I don't
0: know. You know. This, and, you know. This,
2: we're we're almost a year into this.
0: And and the thing that this all started with you telling a story about Klondike bill
2: eating parking lot panties. Right. I'm just, I'm just, look, you want to go to a wrestling podcast. I'm thinking, I'm thinking I may be wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Go to a wrestling podcast to hear stories that you normally have, would not hear anywhere else. Only one person, one person saw Klondike bill, eat those panties in the parking lot. It was me. One person. So, the story came from me. And I'm telling stories that are true. You may not like them. They may make you go, but they're true stories. And I think it's part of the allure of what you and I do. But unfortunately, guys like Chris, well, we've just screwed up their lives.
0: Yeah. And it's supposed to be jokes. And, you know, Loki, Loki Big Hog was a question from a fan. But I think maybe we've taken it a little too far. And I'm going to suggest that maybe next week. We ratcheted back a little. What do you think? Nah. (laughs) All right, let's get the poll going. Here's what you're going to be able to vote for right now on Twitter at WHW Monday. We've already covered the first one. Let's keep it going. We're going to let you pick the year, though. well, last year we covered sold out 1997, just in time for the 20 year anniversary. So we're putting sold out 1998 on the poll this year, and, uh, we're going to put the other sold outs as well. So let's recap sold out 1998. Give you a quick little rundown of what was on the card. We've got Lex Luger and Randy Savage, Bret Hart and Rick Flair, Kevin Nash and the giant Ray trailer and the Steiners taking on Conan Scott Norton and buff Bagwell Larry Zabisco working with Scott Hall. Booker T taking on Rick Martel. Chris Jericho and Ray Mysterio Jr. Chris Benoit and Raven. And then in your opener, it's an eight-man tag match with Hooventude, Super Calo, Mark, Chavo taking on La Parca, Sarcosis, Silver King, and El Dandy. What do you remember most about
2: Snickers NWO sold out? Well, I remember Hart and Flair going 20 minutes and the build-up to that. Of course, we talked about the build-up to that on this show today. But I also remember... That eight man Lucha Libre tag team clusterfuck where no one sold shit.
0: So. Well, there's poll option number one. Sold out right. 1998. And we should remind you that went down at the uh, Hera Arena on January 24th, 1998. January 7th, outside of Dayton. Yep. January 17th, 1999. We've got sold out 99. We've got Chris Benoit in the opener against Mike Enos, Norman Smiley with Chavo Jr. Fit Finley and Van Hammer, that's a real sentence, mm. Bam Bam Bigelow and Wrath, Lex Luger and Conan, Chris Jericho with Ralphus taking on Perry Saturn in a loser must wear a dress match, which I remember very, very well. Billy oh, Kidman geez. in there with Ray Mysterio, Hooventude and Psychosis for the WCW Cruiserweight in a Fatal 4-Way. A tag match and this is kind of fun. Rick and David Flair with Arn Anderson on the outside taking on Kurt Henning and Barry Windham. And then in your main event Bill Goldberg and Scott Hall in a stun gun ladder match. That's real life. It's sold out 99. What might we talk about if sold out 99 wins the poll?
2: Wasn't, wasn't that the night that the giant got power bombed on his head? Uh, no. We thought he broke that, his neck? That was 98. Oh, 98. Okay. All right. Uh, so Tony doesn't remember
0: shit. Sold out 2000. This <laughs> poll option number three. We got okay. Billy Kidman and Dean Malenko in a catch-as-catch-can match, whatever that means. That means it goes two minutes. Vampiro taking on David Flair and Crowbar in a handicap match. We've also got Big Vito and Johnny the Bull with Disco Inferno working with the Harris Brothers. Oklahoma taking on Medusa with Spice. We've got Brian Nobs working in a fatal four way with Fit Finley, Norman Smiley, and Ming. Billy Kidman in there with Perry Saturn. Booker T with Midnight taking on Stevie Ray. We've also got Tank Abbott working with Jerry Flynn. That's right, Tank fucking hmm. Abbott. Buff Bagwell's in there with Diamond Dallas Page in a last, last man standing match, a caged heat match with the wall taking on Billy Kidman, Kevin Nash working with Terry Funk in a hardcore match. I didn't make that up. That actually happened. And then maybe one of the most famous matches of Crispin Waugh's career. Crispin Waugh taking on Sid vicious for the vacant world heavyweight championship. Arn Anderson is your special guest referee. The business changed forever. The very next day. What might we talk about if Sold Out Two Thousand wins the poll?
2: Well, we would talk about the Benoit Sid match, Arn Anderson being the special referee, and that's that's Vince Russo booking right there, trying to take real life and put it into a match, uh, because Arn Anderson being the special referee, and of course, the situation between Sid and Arn happened in nineteen ninety three. Uh, but I think we would talk about that and how the business did change after that
0: uh let's talk about last but certainly not least it's wcw sin and we've got chavo Guerrero working with shane helms for the cruiserweight title reno working with big Vito. the jung dragons taking on evan courageous and jamie noble uh ernest miller taking on mike sanders a penalty box match with jim duggan as the special referee we've got the filthy animals working with team canada we've got ming and crowbar working with Terry Funk in a three-way for the hardcore match. We've also got the Natural Born Thrillers taking on the Insiders, which is Dallas Page and Kevin Nash for the tag team champs. We've got Shane Douglas working with General Hugh G. Rection in a first blood chain match for the United States title. Totally Buffed, which is Lex Luger and Buff Bagwell taking on Goldberg and Dwayne Bruce. Mm. That's a real Mm. thing. Sergeant yes. Buddy Lee
2: Parker. Sorry, buddy Lee Parker. Wow.
0: Also, in your main event, it's a four corners match for the world title. It's Scott Steiner, it's Sid Vicious, it's Jeff Jarrett, it's Road Warrior Animal. And this is the most severe injury in the history of professional wrestling, at least that I saw. Holy cow. That's yeah. gotta be what we're gonna talk about if Sin wins the poll, right?
2: Yeah, the, the broken leg. Uh also uh that broken leg probably got the the uh the vision of buddy lee parker wrestling on a on a uh, pay-per-view out of our minds
0: sold out 98 uh, sold out 99 yeah. sold out 2000 sin 2001 that's your poll go vote right now on twitter it's twitter.com forward slash whw monday he is at tony shivani 24 i am hey hey it's conrad and looking at my watch tony it feels like we are out of time
2: there they go. Nose to nose. Fans, we are desperately out of time. The tape machine's are rolling and we are Okay, 30 Oh, we are. The tape machine's are rolling. This is the greatest match in the history of WCW Thunder and it's only the first show and they're getting ready to touch. And the tape machine's are rolling. Oh my god, it's wild. We're desperate. Just... How much more fucking time do I have to Okay, Edwards. That uh, 3 what? You said it was 30 I got a minute. Oh my God. We're definitely really out of time. See you next week on WCW. WH. What the fuck's the name of the show?
1: How much time do I have, for God's sake? Three. We're out of time. Dave Machines rolling. See you next week on the MLW Radio Network. Don't forget to, to
2: buy a t shirt. I can't feel anymore here. Okay. See you next week on WHW Monday on the MLW Radio Network you oh.